This is a Hot Pie Media Original. Welcome to episode two with Zach Bitter. Who's Zach? Well, he's a great friend of mine. He's a donor fight for the forgotten. And this man is planning to run across all of America for Fight for the Forgotten. He's going to start at the Golden Gate Bridge and he's going to end at the Brooklyn Bridge, which is absolutely uh, an incredible human feat. He's planning on running 70 to 80 miles each day. Amy, isn't that insane? Yes. Yes. (laughs) My brain doesn't even really comprehend it. (laughs) 70 to 80 miles a day. Why can he do that? Because he has five world records in the ultra marathon 100 mile race. This guy's an overcomer. Uh, What's the furthest you've ever run? Uh, for wrestling, maybe 10 miles. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's not a half marathon. It's not an ultra marathon. <laughs> I've run a marathon, sort of. I mean, like I walked a little bit. I made it through. Wow. I got through. Wow. You, yeah. you never cease to amaze me. <laughs> and then I just checked it off my list. I was like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing that well, again. Zach has <laughs> a... Uh, in fighting, sometimes we say we have a we have a little bit of a screw loose, but he's got the extra gear of a human being. Uh, I mean, his his podcast, uh, Human Performance Outliers, is awesome. I've been on that show. J- Zach has been on Joe Rogan's two times. He's supposed to go on a third time. He had a little bit of an injury, so him and I went to uh, Brigham's, where a friend that owns Ways to Well. And I'm so grateful for them uh, for helping me with stem cells. Guys like Tim Kennedy, Joe Rogan. Lots of our friends, um, but they're helping me get better. But anyways, they're helping Zach with his Achilles um, and, you know, put some stem cells in there. We did it together. And he's just an incredible dude. He helped me raise $364,000 with uh, a, a high school with our first guest, uh, uh, Nick Santanastasso. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that show. If you didn't see... Nick, please go watch him. He's a self-proclaimed uh, unicorn. He's got one arm, one <laughs> finger, no legs, but he's an incredible human being. And these two guys came together and they helped me blow it out of the water for a high school in their one week or one week long philanthropy week where they there's like 36 student council members, 36 of them each through an event and they each raised about $10,000 or more at those events on average. Wow. And so Zach uh, is thinking about moving here to Austin. They, um, and can I just say they show up for you? Yeah, they do. You know, they what do. a wonderful uh, first two guests. Yeah, that's why I wanted them as the first two guests, yeah. because they are incredible human beings. Zach and Nicole told me the other day if they move here to Austin, which I'm I'm saying that on air because I want them to. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> the they, things you speak tend to come into existence. Oh, well, so. thank you. Mm-hmm. And I hope this does because they said that they would want to be here and help us with Fight for the Forgotten as much as they can. Yeah. I was like, wow, I'm really humbled because you've already done so much. And you're going to run from the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> oh, sorry, the Golden Gate Bridge to the Brooklyn Bridge <laughs> uh, here in, I think, 2022. He missed the window this year because of that injury. Mm-hmm. He talks about that here. But what I really want the listeners to hear about is he relates running an ultra marathon hundred miles to life and how you have to break those things down. You don't start, you might start with the goal of running a hundred miles, but you definitely don't do that in the moment or it, when the race begins, because if you're on race eight or 18 or 28 or maybe even 38, and you're thinking about mile 99 and a hundred, 
it's good to have that goal, but you have to break those things down. And I think that's important for a lot of us because I know my generation, I'm only 34 years old and we got social media early. Uh, I was in high school with Facebook, even though it was only a college thing because I was at the Olympic Training Center. And I think a lot of young people um, have, or, or just our, our culture with TV, uh, ads, everything, and, and sound bites, we want everything quick. We, we, it's almost like a microwave thing. We want it, we want it now. You know, instant gratification. And when uh, Zach has had to train his body, his mind to not just want that instant gratification, you know, he's out there running. I mean, I see him whenever he came down here and visited us. Did you see some of his runs? I mean, he's running yeah. 20 miles down Ladybird. Talk Lake. about really having to appreciate the journey and not the destination. Yes. You, know, you better love it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's what this guy loves. He loves the challenge. And how we came together was he had known about my work with the pygmy people. But whenever I shared about my own bullying story, he listened to that on one of his runs and he reached out right away and said uh, that it impacted him. Then when he got a second call to be on Rogan's, he said, bro, I, I, I want to talk about you on the show. I want to help raise funds. Then when the stand with Raiden campaign happened, which you got to meet Raiden here recently, mm -hmm. he's, he's such a young stud. I got to spar with him the other day, his first time ever sparring. He, he saw Raiden in that he had a disability um, or a couple with uh, being born uh, with autism, being born deaf in his right ear, being bullied. He's like, we're going to do something. And so he, when he came to Oklahoma, when I was living there, he, uh, he really rallied around that young man around fight for the forgotten. He's just the kind of human being that you want to be around. Uh, he is soft spoken. He's quiet, but man, he's got an incredible heart and he's a warrior. Uh, the way that he beats the street, you know, beats the pavement, low key power. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you witness, you wouldn't maybe suspect him for who he is and him and Nicole, both are incredible people. His wife runs a hundred mile ultra marathons, uh, but she's more not on the street, but she's more uh, the endurance style. That's the adventure races kind of up and down mountains and all that stuff. So they're an incredible couple, power couple. Yeah. We like power couples, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we are. And mm -hmm. uh, I believe we are. But they, uh, the way she supports him in his journey as the best in the world, the way that he is on her team. Uh, whenever she's running a hundred miles and he's helping her think about the things ahead or just stay in the moment while he's thinking about the things ahead. So I appreciate supportive couples like that. I appreciate your support. Amy. Oh, honey. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. I think you really will. Hey, um, before we get to the episode, can I just say a couple things? Sure. One, this is like our first in studio episode. Yeah. So that's exciting. That's really exciting. I know. And then uh, also, I just want to tell people, send your stories. If you have an overcome story that you want to share, please send it. It's overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And we're going to be reading some of these stories. I'm so excited about that. So please email us your stories. I'm so excited about that too. Uh, mm -hmm. I've already gotten several, even though we just- You have? First. Yeah. Where? On your people, Instagram? Yes. And- well, uh, send them to the overcome podcast or, uh, at, at gmail. gmail. Yeah. Com, send them please. there. Cause you're going to miss them on your but, DM and I'm not going to be able to see them and I'm, I got to read them. But <laughs> what I'm really excited about. Yes. I would love to read some of those is the one that happened, uh, recently. 
with uh, the dentist. That's all we'll, we'll leave it at. Oh, uh, I got that's to exciting. You know what? That'll be next week. We're going to, we're going to have a lot more about that next yeah. week. So stay tuned. Thank yeah, you so stay much tuned for joining. And, uh, remember to, you can find Zach at, we're going to cover it all in the episode, but remember he's at Zach Bitter, Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R yeah, on, yeah, Zach with an H on Instagram. And then of course he's got his podcast, which is called human performance outliers, human performance outliers. He is a human performance outlier. No question about it. So yeah, you can follow that podcast too. Please enjoy the show. Well, Zach bitter. Welcome to overcome with Justin Wren. Thank you for doing my podcast. Yeah, Justin, it's been uh, a fun, fun trip so far. And obviously this is going to be a, a, a highlight of it. I think I'm excited to be on your podcast and uh, also excited for you and the podcast and everything. And I'm, uh, I'm honored to be probably your, your least popular guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, brother, you are, you are the man uh, for people that don't know. You have set like five world records in the ultra marathon, hundred mile race. Yeah. Yeah. I got interested in ultra marathons quite a while ago at this point, but hundred miles been kind of a focus of mine, uh, since I really started to enjoy the process for that particular distance. And over the years I've been able to break records at hundred miles, just outright, uh, distance traveled in 12 hours. So they do these things called timed events where you see how far you can get in a specific time. So 12 hours was one of them. And that was, that was in one race, right? You set two world records. Yeah. That's the kind of interesting thing about it. So my, my fastest hundred mile time is 11 hours and 19 minutes. And kind of by default, if you can finish in under 12 hours, you can kind of double dip more or less. So when I crossed the hundred mile mark at 11 hours and 19 minutes, I essentially had 41 minutes to see how many, how many more miles I could get beyond that and, uh, and add that to the 12 hour side of things. So, wow. um, yeah, it's an interesting sport. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> we'll get more into that. But this morning, uh, we got to go to on it mm-hmm. and get a workout in. I pulled a fast one on you. I was, uh, doing the warm up, and then all of a sudden I realized I got a new tattoo. My tattoo artist said, don't sweat until Saturday. I'm two days away from that. So I pulled out on you. I said, we're going to go work out. <laughs> and, yeah. But that was a pretty incredible group of guys, right? That I get to work out with on Thursday mornings. Yeah, that was awesome. It was, it was great. It's cool to see. And you were telling me a bit about it, how it's grown from a handful of guys to now, I think there was over 60 people there. So yeah. you moved them into the on it area. And even there, it was pretty full. We went out to the parking lot for some stuff and then back into the gym for, for more. It was a little different than my normal workout protocol, which I, which I like right now. Cause as we talked about, I've been dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury right now. So I haven't been able to run and train the way I normally would, which frees up some of my time, but it also allows me to try out some other activities that, uh, I normally wouldn't have time for or energy for in some cases. So yeah. it's kind of cool to experience that. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the workouts you guys did? Yeah. So we kind of started out with, uh, just kind of like a basic dynamic warm up, And then we did kind of a group, uh, like 10 minute session where we rotated between basically kind of like a shuttle run out and back type thing then and paired that with some like forward lunges, some side steps and bear crawls. Yeah. So that kind of got the blood pumping more or less. Yeah. We went back in the gym to do. How often does a hundred mile marathon, ultra marathon runner do bear crawls? It depends on the course. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Believe it or not, there are some where you're probably doing bear crawls. They're typically not the events I'm doing, but yeah. <laughs> they are out there. But so. they might be Nicole, like your, your wife, uh, mm-hmm. who does the more, how would you say her, her hundred mile? She likes high mountain stuff. High mountain stuff. Yeah. She probably doesn't do as many of them as she would like to, but she's starting to kind of 
kind of move more that direction now. And uh, she actually just did a race last weekend where they were they were going above 10,000 feet for good parts of it, real wow. steep climbs. And she came back and she's like, you know, I was the only one there that didn't bring poles because <laughs> they, they'll use poles on those really steep ones. So you can kind of like almost like uh, backcountry skiing. Yeah. You can help yourself up there. But she was kind of using it as a tune-up race for for a race she's going to be doing later this year called Run Rabbit Run. So Wow. And, and so she's getting ready to go to Colorado Springs. I used to live there. I lived at the Olympic Training Center. And then also during my MMA career, I lived down there for a year and went back up to Denver a lot for my MMA training. And I had this spot that was right by uh, Pulpit Rock. And I remember I'd go out on Pulpit Rock in the morning sometimes for kind of a little bit of a meditation. Sometimes I'd go do a warm up, and I have this like uh, tennis ball that's on headband. And I would hit that and uh, you're, you're getting timing and it can go anywhere. And so you're learning head movement at the same time because if you miss it with your hand, you better get your face out. Of the yeah. Way. Yeah. And looking out at um, Pike's Peak. Okay. From there. I mean, it was just majestic. Do you think that's what Nicole really loves about those kind of high mountain things, you know, being out in nature? Yeah. Yeah. And for her, it's just an environment that kind of pulls her away from kind of the focus that she has in her day job. She's, she's a lawyer, but she works with uh, kind of healthcare benefit stuff with uh, you know, a big company. And, you know, there's a lot on her plate with that stuff and it's gotta be very detail oriented. Mm-hmm. So it's really like attention to detail, can't make a mistake. So when she gets into the running side of her life, she really likes to kind of disconnect. Yeah. So it's actually kind of funny because I'm a real analytical runner. Like I like to watch the data, like analyzing it, seeing where the small improvement is why I find myself on a track doing these sometimes because you can yeah. really control for data. How many times around a track is that like a standard, maybe high school, college track? Uh, 400 meters is typical for yeah. the distance around for a hundred miles. It's going to be 402 and a half laps. 402 and a half laps. It's kind of funny. Around a track. When I used to coach high school track, uh, you know, they're the you longest. You better have a watch to look at. Right. You're going to be looking at the same thing over and over. Yeah. Well, they do. Well, the funny thing is they'll have like a really big screen, like a big screen TV there and all the timing mat and you cross that timing mat every time. And and then the, the, the big screen TV will be maybe like 10 meters past that timing mat and you can kind of see what your split was then. So if yeah. you know, like I'm targeting a range of like, this many minutes and seconds per lap, you can kind of spot check yourself and see if you're kind of hitting where you're supposed to be. But you got to take that to, you got to kind of be careful with that as well. Cause you can kind of get almost too much mental fatigue if you're mm-hmm. looking at every one of your lap splits. So I like to kind of hit it, get in the range and then just kind of dial in that effort for a while and then spot check. And yeah. Think that over, works well. over 400 times around. I would want a TV from time to time yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. I wish they put Netflix on there or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, you know, an interesting question might be you and Nicole both do ultra marathon runs. You know, my, my, my partner and, and uh, girlfriend is right behind the, the camera over there. And, you know, we're both doing podcasting, Amy. And uh, what's that like doing the same thing with, you know, your wife? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because that's kind of how we met. So that's a big piece to the puzzle of us being together, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's got a lot of benefits, I would say. I think some people think like that it would be tough because you're managing kind of two like competitive. competitive yeah. yeah uh-huh. And we both we both are definitely serious about like champion competitors. Right. Yeah. I mean, Nicole's been top 10 at the Western States 100, which is uh, arguably the first or second most difficult uh, hundred miler in the world to place well at. So top 10 there is like 
a really big badge of honor, more or less in the sport. And she's been top 10 three times. And yeah. And I mean, she's, she's got, uh, the second fastest trail time in North America. Um, she's got a course record at, uh, uh, Rocky raccoon, which has been a very tested, relatively runnable hundred mile trail, but it's, uh, you know, she's been second fastest at the Havelina hundred, which has been pretty well tested by a lot of, a lot of solid runners over the years. And yeah, so it is one of those things where we, I think the biggest thing to pay attention to is just like, well, what is our race schedule going to look like? Because we both want to support one another. And one thing we kind of found out early in our relationship is that if we're both doing the same event at the same time, we have to have the right people in place to support or, you have a situation where now your main crew person slash pacer is off doing their thing instead of helping you and vice versa. And then also there's like just a little bit of background noise, obviously, if like you're out there trying to focus on your race, but in the back of your mind, you know, like for me, like Nicole's back there somewhere or in some cases not behind me, but (laughs) usually I'm fortunate enough to stay ahead of her. But, um, but yeah, then they're just wondering like, how are they doing? And you kind of have, a little bit of your mental energy go towards that. And I know she's got the same kind of process going on in her head too. So just kind of like navigating race schedules is probably the most important thing. But then after that, it's actually a lot of fun because she understands that, uh, very, she understands very intimately like why I do what I do and I do for her too. So it's not as hard to navigate if she says, Hey, I got to get this workout in for X race. I already know why it's yeah. like, she doesn't have to justify it to me in, in the same other, same in the other, other way. And, and when we can also, if we put enough thought to our training plans, try to match up certain workouts. So, uh, like for, I'm usually working through about four different intensities on training and, uh, I'm usually about one intensity faster ahead of Nicole. So if we pair up our training, right, you know, she could be doing say like what we call like a lactate threshold workout. Um, or like a tempo run and I could be doing like a base run or a, an aerobic threshold target run. And we're about the same pace at that. Uh, so then we can do them together and then yeah. and the easy runs and stuff like that, or that's like kind of the more fun, like exploratory things, which you find yourself doing from time to time in the ultra running sport. We can obviously do those ones together too. So we spent a lot of miles running together as well, which is yeah, nice. That's cool. <laughs> uh, Amy, if you have any questions on, you know, relationship wise between him and Nicole, please, <laughs> we, 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 we will do uh, ice baths together. Yeah. Um, that's but we kind of did fun. meet doing the same, like doing something similar. We met, pod- yeah. well, I guess we met in a mastermind, but we kind of met podcasting and you yeah. were on my show. So I don't know. I think when you have those similar interests, you can like support each other in a really good way. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the common thread there, which you're saying too. Zach, did I tell you how we met? Um, Amy and I? I th- was it so a- we met in Sedona uh-huh. uh, and we met eye gazing. And this is, I mean, it's a good uh, second podcast episode. We should, we should introduce the producer okay. behind, yeah. behind the screen, <laughs> behind the other mic. And uh, we met eye gazing in this like, so we're in Aubrey, we were in this mastermind group together with Aubrey Marcus and. Anyways, I, uh, there was this healing exercise of like, kind of like masculine and feminine wounds kind of thing. And we were lined up across from each other and they would ask you to step forward and be seen. If you've ever, um, had a similar struggle or you, you ever experienced this. So for me, whenever they asked, have you ever been bullied? You know, I had to step forward and be seen by the women standing across from me, the men right by my side. everything, you know, like, have you been the bully? Have you had, you know, any sexual abuse? Like it was deep. Yeah. 
it was really deep. And then there was this part where, I mean, people are kind of scanning, seeing the people across from me and you realize like we, you know, probably for the women, they, they saw a lot of men step forward on the sexual abuse part. You know, it's not only a women's issue, although it's mostly like a lot of men had, had experienced that too. I stepped forward in that. That was my first time really admitting that publicly in front of people. And anyways, while everyone else was scanning each other's eyes and everything, I locked eyes with Amy. I was just locked in. I mean, almost like just a, a stare down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what's funny is we went out to dinner with my mom whenever Amy first met her. And they said that, uh, uh, well, my lips started quivering. I'm not looking away from her. You think it was over a minute, right? I don't know. It felt like eternity. It felt like eternity. <laughs> we're, Anytime we're you're in a stare down. down with someone, yeah. you know, it feels really long. Like stare at somebody for 20 seconds and see how long that feels. So yeah. I don't know how long it was, but it felt, it felt long. Yeah, and I, I think just it was at least over a minute. Yes. You were not going to give up. No. And I literally teared up. I don't know why, but there was something about her. And about being seen in this like vulnerable place, a tear dropped down my eye and I, I, so I, I t- turn and I look away. And when my mom heard that, she's like, Amy, you're the first one to ever beat Justin in a stare down. <laughs> I've, been, I've been watching him wrestle since he was 15 years old, have 17 pro fights or whatever. And uh, you're the only one to ever beat him in a stare down. So you knew right away. I, I knew something was special. Something was special. And then I came and I did her show the Amy Edwards show. And, uh, uh, as I was meeting the crew here at the studio and everything else, like I saw her kind of motioning to the door, or like kind of getting closer to it. And I told them timeout. Actually, they donated to fight for the free. Hot, and I was so incredible, uh, incredibly grateful for that. I gave them the phone with Jim, you know, Jim mm-hmm. Stewart, our executive director gave, gave them the phone with him on speakerphone. I just beelined it for the door to make sure she wasn't getting away. Mm-hmm. I said, Amy, do you happen to have any time? Like, I'd love to, to go to lunch or take you out on a date. And, uh, yeah, you yeah. pitched yourself to be on my podcast though. Uh, after the stare down, like later that evening. <laughs> That's true. And you said, uh, everyone's telling me I should talk to you about your podcast. And, and that I was part's like, Why? true. I didn't know who you were. <laughs> I'm like, and you were like, well, I've uh, been on a lot of podcasts. I've been on Rogan eight times or something. And I was like, what? Okay, come on. <laughs> that's a good way to get in on the podcast. Thank you, Joe Rogan. Thank you, Joe Rogan. Thank you, right, all the other drop. podcasts. I, uh, <clears throat> but I had, I had people grabbing me and pointing at Amy after that stare down. They're like, you better do her show. You better go do her Maybe show. Maybe they knew. Uh, Maybe they knew. They saw it. Yeah. But, but, you know, when you have that common interest, like it was, it was already there, like you and your wife, Zach. And mm-hmm. um, I can't wait to meet her, by the way. Yeah. She's so. the sweetest. Yeah. Uh, we'll I'll have to bring her down next time. I think please. I'll probably be back down at end of August and bring her that time. She loves oh, Austin. Great. She went to Baylor, lived in Dallas for about 10 years. So oh, nice. Yeah. So it's uh. What happened when the two of you met? So when we met, we, so here's how it kind of worked out. We were both sponsored by a company called Ultra Footwear. That was kind of our primary sponsor. Hey, you got us our shoes. From yeah. Yes, uh-huh. Thank yep. you. Yeah. They're comfy. Yeah. Hopefully your toes are happy. Day. Yeah. They are happy, happy toes and I got white feet. So it's great. <laughs> yeah. So we were both on that team. So we knew who each other were uh, before we ever kind of hung out or got to know each other. And ultimately what happened is we were both helping out at a trail running camp by uh, uh, by an organization called Team Red, White, and Blue, and they help uh, veterans that are returning and trying to reacclimate into society through endurance sports. So, like, let's give these folks uh, something to kind of build 
a passion around other people that they can, you know, can make new friends, new acquaintances, and just kind of feel part of something, part of a team. So they would do a trail, a trail run or a trail camp like every year. And Nicole and I were kind of host helping host that, or we were mentors, I guess, for it. And, uh, we were kind of in the same group. They had like, I think it was like four different groups and we were in the same one. And so we were just hanging out that week and got to know each other a little better. And we just kept talking afterwards. And then, you know, one thing led to another and we started dating and she was still in Dallas at the time I was actually up in Sacramento. So, uh, you know, once it got serious enough, we, we got engaged and moved to Phoenix. Wow. And that's where we've been. So you are long distance <laughs> dating and then you got engaged? Yeah, we were, wow. we were long distance dating for, uh, I'm trying to remember how long it was, probably about half a year or so. Yeah. Did you just run back and forth to see? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of running, not to one another, but, uh, yeah, she, she, she actually moved to Sacramento with me for about four months before we moved to Phoenix. So she definitely jumped over more hurdles than I did from that side of things, which, which I thank her for still today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's, she's incredible. And, um, you know, one of the things that brought us together was a common interest or, or a common platform. Mm -hmm. And that was Joe Rogan's show. Um, I mean, that would, I think that's where we'd say we connected first. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I had known of you. Uh huh. Yeah. I had no idea you knew who I was, but I, uh, had listened to your podcast with Joe and I mean, you're, if, I mean, for folks who are listening to this, they'll probably familiar with your podcast with Joe, but if not, you should, they should definitely check it out. Thanks. Uh, because when I heard it, uh, I was like, well, what other podcast has he been on? I want to hear it again. And, uh, from maybe just another perspective. So then I listened to you on the mind pump media with yeah. the, those guys and they're killing it now. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing great. Yeah. That's a, that's a really s- sweet setup they have. So at that point I was familiar with your story with fight for the forgotten. And, uh, I knew I wanted to follow kind of your career after that. I, I hadn't quite connected the dots as to like what I wanted to maybe do to help out yet. But, um, eventually that got to the point where, I'd been planning this big project kind of way in the back of my mind uh, to run across the country at some point in my career. And I knew that was going to be something where I needed more than just my own in, intuit or my own like uh, internal motivation. And I would want something to do it for uh, to really make it kind of meaningful and impactful. And I couldn't really think of a better, better organization than Fight for the Forgotten to do it for. So I reached out to you thinking like, I'll probably have to try to connect with him multiple times. I figured I could probably connect through one of our common common friends or something like that at some point, but I didn't think you'd respond to me within five minutes. But I think it was like <laughs> five minutes later, you had responded to me on like Instagram or, or Twitter or one of the social media platforms. And you were just like, yeah, this is so awesome. And then, yeah, then we met uh, when we met at in Santa Fe, I think at yeah. the fundraiser for... Yeah. Well, you're actually wearing the shirt. Yeah. Uh-huh. From that, it's our why fight, fight for the forgotten shirt, which is why fight, fight for yourself, fight for others. And man, that, that blew me away because our first guest, Nick Santanastasso, mm-hmm. and then my second guest, you, Zach Bitter, um, came out and this school wanted to raise uh, $150,000 for us. And man, they blew through that. It's a high school in Oklahoma, outside Oklahoma City in Edmond. Man, they raised $364,000 for us. Mm-hmm. You got to come and you got to speak uh, to, well, the school. Um, we did a bullying and suicide prevention kind of assembly, but we also did another talk with the athletes. And 
you know, this podcast, what I really, I'm very grateful for you being on it and for you also believing in the show, because I really want this to be one of the most meaningful podcasts in the world mm-hmm. where we talk about overcoming our, the greatest challenges in our life and how we can help others overcome. But as we overcome our own challenges, we're going to be able to make this world better. Mm-hmm. And I really believe like you, me, Raiden, uh, Chris, who you met today on it, like we've overcome no matter what we've been through, we've overcome a hundred percent of our darkest days. And now we get to shine our, or share our light and our, our love with this world and each other and some for you to, to connect with, with fight for the free out. And I think it was because you were a teacher Mm-hmm. And you had seen kids that, that have been bullied. Yeah. Um, and can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. And I think, uh, I think fight for the forgotten connected with me in a couple ways. One was when, uh, you know, my, I was, I wasn't like a, an endurance, uh, specialist my entire life, I guess you could mm-hmm. say I, you know, I loved running at a fairly early age. I took it seriously by the end of high school and in college, but I wasn't the greatest runner out there. I wasn't going to the Olympics. I wasn't signing a pro contract to race five K's, 10 K's or marathons or anything like that. So it was definitely a, a passion hobby post post a collegiate career. Uh, before I got to a point where I discovered ultra marathons and realized if I kind of work hard and, you know, do the right things within it, I could potentially turn a career into or make a career out of that racing some of the longer stuff. Uh, so I started out as a teacher. I taught for about five years in Wisconsin and that was my kind of my original career path. And I did a kind of a combination of regular ed and special education, but you know, seventh grade through high school, you see the full gamut of experiences. Mm. And, you know, one of the big, I think challenges for me was as a teacher, you know, I was young. Um, the, my students generally liked me, so I was probably fairly impactful as far as teachers go in terms of being able to steer kind of the dynamic of just like the, the kids interacting with one another. But I always kind of knew in the back of my mind, you know, if you have a student who is just really having a hard time and struggling to make any friends and they're in this situation where when they wake up in the morning, it's really not a question of whether they're going to have a good day or a bad day. It's just like, how bad can it get? Mm. And then will it continue after school? Will it continue into the weekend? And just like, I felt somewhat powerless with that in terms of what I could actually do to move the needle on, on that student's development outside of the academic stuff. So, uh, that was kind of something that drew me to both your story as well as your organization uh, cause for me personally, you know, I've, I've built challenges in my life. I've self-imposed big mountains to get over, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I've been fortunate enough to, you know, have a lot of success with that, but they're mostly all self-imposed. So I could always turn it off if I wanted to, like if tomorrow, if I decided, you know what, I'm done challenging myself running hundred mile races, I want to do something else. I could turn that off and go a completely different direction. And I'd probably be just fine. But, you know, just thinking about the relatively large number of people that, like I said, are not, they don't have the option to turn it off. It's, it's like, when is this going to end? And when you start thinking of it like that, it starts to make a lot more sense why you have situations where people are attempting suicide or, you know, writing a, writing a note to, uh, you know, basically excuse themselves from life and let their loved ones know why. And it's, it's just, you know, just such a different type of challenge in a challenge that I don't think I can or ever really will probably be able to relate to as perfectly as someone who's gone through that. 
but uh, being able to like interact with folks like yourself, Justin, and the people that you've 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 clearly changed their life outcome on is been probably one of the more powerful things that I've witnessed in my life. And it's, uh, I mean, I can, I can share stories about this if you want to hear them. It's like, I remember at Santa Fe at the high school when, uh, you know, we, we would do like, they, they, I mean, it's such a great setup there. I should probably just talk a little bit about that, that actual thing. I think they, they, every year they pick a charity and it's like about, they'll spend the whole week basically just doing all all sorts of different, it's kind of like homecoming week in the sense where you're doing all sorts of different rallies and activation type things. It's called the double wolf dare week. It was their philanthropy week. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. And they raise, they just try to raise as much money as they can through donations just from the community essentially. Right. And, uh, you know, they'll probably get some bigger donors from some of the corporations and stuff in town or some of the more well-to-do families and stuff like that. But, um, really it's a lot of just like small donations over mm-hmm. the course of the week when someone does something meaningful or inspiring you're like okay i can spare five bucks i'm gonna put it in here or or the, the funny the funny one was like at the lunch I mean, they do the <laughs> eating dares. contest at lunch dares and yeah. raise money through that uh yeah so like just you know we'd be between those like different activations and like the kids would walk up to you and they would say like you know i'm i, I turned in my suicide note this mm. morning after seeing you talk last night and i mean you do such a good job when that happens of like responding to that person as if it's like the first time you've heard that and you just like you're you're such a welcoming presence for them almost like that's great now let's keep this moving and mm-hmm. providing letting them know that there's an outlet for them through you and your organization you know when they do find another hard spot in life because they're going to you know how that goes uh you know that that just because they put that letter away doesn't mean it won't come back out and, uh, you know, just talking to you after it was cause I asked you, I was curious. I was like, well, how often does that happen? <laughs> you're like, it happens all the time. And I'm just like thinking, I mean, what, what a position to be in to, to not only be someone who has experienced what you've experienced, but to turn that around and be able to say like, I actually tangibly turned someone's life in a direction that had I not done it, their life would have ended. And I get a lot of messages from folks about, oh man, I listened to you on Joe Rogan or I listened to you in this podcast. I followed your race, got me to start running. It helped me out. It helped me get out of a rut in life. It helped me kind of refocus. I got back in shape. My health's improved. I've lost X number of pounds. And those are awesome stories, but it's it's rare if ever that I get one where someone said, Hey, I was going to commit suicide. And then I heard your story and now I'm, now I'm, you know, taking control of my life. So yeah. like to see that, I think was, um, it was just such a powerful experience for, for me personally. Wow. You know, it's, uh, when I hear stuff like that, just like how it might happen sometimes frequently, but whenever each time it's, it's new for me, almost it's, it's, it's humbling if that makes sense where Amy has been helping me. But uh, one of the things I've really tried to do is, is really be present Mm -hmm. in the moment with every person to where I'm not looking past them or around them or checking my watch or phone. Although I get, I get a lot of notifications. But whenever it's something like that and it's, it's that meaningful, it's like, oh, be here mm-hmm. right now, like lock eyes, feel what they're feeling and, and just bring hope into yeah. it, you know? Well, and you can feel what they're feeling. Yeah. You know what that feels like, which I think that I, I mean, I kind of have a question for you with that. Cause yeah, it's sure. like, can you do that authentically if you haven't had that experience, do you think? Or is it something I think, 
I think maybe you can in certain ways, but I just don't know if you can do it in a way that is as like, you might just be like, kind of like, uh, like the Michael Jordan of people who, (laughs) (laughs) in terms of like how well you can do it, maybe I should say is the way I should ask it. Like, it's gotta be helpful to know that. Oh yeah. Whenever you know it, we'll give you an example real quick. When I met, met the pygmies the first time I was so shell shocked. Mm -hmm. I never met someone that called someone else master. I never had a slave master come up to me and say, what are you here doing with my property? I own these people. I never experienced the water crisis. I had never not had a home with electricity Mm -hmm. or like a door that shut, you know, an open door that's twigs and leaves and never been rained on in the middle of the night. And I never held it. I never seen a kiddo die of dirty water. Mm -hmm. But my second trip was like, you know, I I need to just go. I, I put down four goals and it was, how can I, how can I find common ground? How can I, um, truly know what they're experiencing? Cause when, then I'd go back home and I'd read about it. And I think if you read about it, it can, it can literally go, um, you know, you can forget about it, but if you hear about it, it can still go in one ear and out the other. Mm-hmm. If you see it now, all of a sudden you got those images to uh, attach to it. But man, if you feel it and experience it, that's something that you'll never forget. And when you hear it come back up again, I'm not saying it's PTSD, but it's like, it's like you connect it to, oh, I've been there. Mm-hmm. So my second time to go, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go for a month. I'm just going to do four things, live with them, listen to them, learn from them. And then from there, I'll know how to love them. You know, and I'm going to try to bring love in at the beginning, the middle, the end, all this stuff. But I felt like until I knew what it felt like to, to, to at least suffer some of the things that they have suffered or experienced it, just at least put myself in the elements, right? I've never experienced it in the way that they have living their whole lives there. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why they name me Feosa Mabutimang Pope. It's because like Feosa is the man who loves us. Like this guy is living here with us mm-hmm. and loving us. And the the big pygmy part, like he's, they're like he's one of us, you know. And because uh, I put myself through it. Now I don't think that means um, you can't connect with someone if 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 you haven't experienced what they have. Cause still I never have called someone master. Sure. Right. Yeah. Still I've never had one of my own children die mm-hmm. of, of, of waterborne disease, but I've been there with them as they've struggled and as they've suffered. And I've been in that vicinity, that atmosphere, their proxy. And I, I've, I've been in the villages and I've dug the graves and I've um, done some really tough stuff. So I can, I think it's a difference between sympathy and empathy almost where um, sympathy, you see it, you feel sorry for someone, but empathy, like you can, you either have seen it, you've struggled, you've, or you can just find a way to tap into, oh, this is how that would feel, you know? And, and so mine, I'll try to dump, not dumb it down, but I'll try to relate it this way, man, fight for the forgotten was named for the pygmy people who told me that, um, everyone else calls us the forest people, but we call ourselves the forgotten people. Mm-hmm. They asked me if I could help them have a voice. I get to do that now on this podcast. Like, yeah. thank goodness. And you're doing it with your, your shirt and your run across America. Um, and that's fulfilling that first promise to him. 
but the way that I would maybe relate it is, um, actually I, I might've just lost that. I had something where it was, um, the difference between the empathy. Oh, I, I've never like, I've never felt that forgotten. Right. Mm-hmm. I've, 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 I caught it again. I get hit in the head for a living, ladies and gentlemen. I, I forget <laughs> things from time to time. But I, when I was sitting at the lunch table by myself, mm-hmm. getting pelted in the back of the head with chocolate milk, spit wads, food, fist, I felt forgotten. I wasn't enslaved. I wasn't, um, I wasn't suffering the same things they were. I wasn't being hunted sometimes like their tribe is and, and literally killed. But I felt absolutely in my surrounding, in my community, for the level of bullying I went through, it it was probably the worst of the worst in, in my school and things like that, or at least some of the worst. So now I, I could, whenever I felt, heard their, their suffering, their story, the oppression that they went through, I could at least relate it. And I could be like, take myself back to where I was when I was a kid like that. And then I could relate it to their more extreme story. So maybe in your situation, if you've never been suicidal, if you've never been to that point of like writing a letter, Mm -hmm. you can just be like, whenever time I was so bummed out, whenever I lost a family member, whenever I, I mean, something, I mean, can can you see that? No, that makes complete sense. That's how I've tried to like process it in my mind so far to a degree is think like, imagine the worst day that I can remember or the worst situation that happened to me in like my childhood educational experience. And think of that being every day instead mm. of just one day. Yeah. Cause I mean, for me, it's like, you know, everyone's has a bad day and it's like, Oh, you know, usually for me was I did something stupid, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, you have that day where just like, you just dread the fact that you're gonna have to face your peers and mm. you know the adults in your life and, you know, essentially own up to what you did. Uh, and then kind of begin to kind of like build yourself back up more or less. But it's just, it seems different to me when you don't know where that first step is because there's not really a person there to welcome you home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then like, I mean, I just think of it as well as like for, for you and for some of these others, like, I mean, there might be a parent who is there for you, but there's, I'm sure like your mom probably felt, similar to I did when I'd see a student have a struggle like Mm. that, where she's like, I can love him. I can do everything I can for him, but I can't go out there and make these kids be nice to him. Mm. You know, I can't make them get to know who he really is. And I think, I think that's just like a, you know, I think of the more people who can think of that, think of that maybe is where the help would be. Because if you get people who are like myself that can kind of put themselves into that position long enough to realize that, uh, that the, 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 the thing to probably do is to try to help empower those folks and give them at least one more person that they can count on being, (laughs) being there for them more or less. And then the more people who can do that, then the better they're going to have to build themselves out of, you know, whatever situation they happen to be in. Right. I agree with that. And then you got to meet my mom, right? Yeah. In Oklahoma. uh Yeah. Uh, She, she really enjoyed meeting you. Uh, she just sent me the nicest, uh, like, note just telling me she loves me and is proud of me amy amy got to see it and it's it's got like this africa cutout on it and it's got uh-huh. all these different african prints and i'm like where in the world did she find this i still gotta ask her because she went up to like uh i think yellowstone and uh anyways i think that although my mom couldn't see 
or couldn't stop what was happening necessarily. Now they, they made moves for me like the, after the second really, really brutal bullying incident that they heard of, they moved me out of that school. Mm-hmm. So they took some action and the, the biggest action they could. And that sacrifice uh, was one of the best things ever did for me. But uh, I have her on my phone as best mom ever. Uh-huh. And the, the reason I'm a mama's boy, but I think Amy would say it's a healthy type of mama's boy <laughs> where she's not, she's not like crossing boundaries or being weird. She's just like, she's rooting for me. Sure. And uh, she lets me figure things out the, for myself and in the hard way um, sometimes. And she, uh, I think she is literally the reason why I'm still here um, because uh, you know, at 13, when I was suicidal, I thought, what would this do to my mom? Mm. And then she inspired me. So, you know, maybe you wouldn't be able to, like my mom wasn't able to relate in a way of like, I've been through it. Mm-hmm. But you know what she was able to do was she was able to get my focus onto other things. And she was able to provide the tools that she found whenever she was a young person, which for her was tennis and horseback riding. So it was running barrels and horses and it was tennis. And my mom was a state champion in tennis a couple of times. She was a national champion in barrel racing a couple of times. And so whenever I wrote down what goal I want to be, it was a national champion, oh, but, hmm. but I told her, you know, if you did it twice, I better do it twice. Yeah. And so what's really cool is my mom was a two-time national champion in barrel racing. I was a two-time national champion in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to, you know, get my focus off of that, provide me an outlet get me great coaching. I mean, she was the one that knew if we get him around the best, he'll be one of the best. And so she was able to help me get to a high school that had two Olympic gold medalists as high school coaches. And because whenever I first brought up MMA to her, she was like, absolutely not. You're not boxing. Mm-hmm. You're not getting hit in the head. <laughs> she let me play football, but she wouldn't let me, let me, uh, <laughs> let me get punched in the head. But once I went through that big bullying moment and they transferred me schools and then once I got into wrestling, said, this is what I want to do. Then they were like, well, this is the school that's best. She sent me 67 miles away. Not a lot of pa- families and parents can do that. And my parents weren't wealthy. They, um, they made sacrifice mm-hmm. to make sure I could leave for school before the sun was up and come back at, home from school after the sun was down mm-hmm. so that I could be around two Olympic gold medalists and these high school kids that were like state champions and, and killing it and crushing it. So I don't know if that's too long of a story, but like, that's what she could do for me. Yeah. And so she did that the best she could. That's so interesting to me too, because when I think of just like the average parent and I don't want to, you know, call parents average, but you know, when you think of just like, you know, most, most parents aren't national champions in one thing, much less two. So, you know, your, your, your child comes to you and says, Hey, I want to be a national champion wrestler. You might be like, you know, well, you know, that's a great goal. We can focus on that, but let's make sure that you're also getting this done and having plan B, plan C and stuff like that versus kind of at that point in your life, you probably didn't need to hear that. You probably needed to hear, here's the opportunity to wrestle. You know, if this is going to help you get through your day, then we're going to do it. If you got to go 60 miles or not, and she knows what it takes to be a national champion, that it is possible. Yeah. So I guess maybe that path, even though it's still a hard path, no matter how you do it, had been proven to her. So she was willing to let you take those steps. Whereas other parents maybe would shelter a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the other thing about it too, is just when I look at it through your lens, uh, I mean, I think we see this in other sports too, where if you have a situation where it's really bad and then you have something that is like hopeful that 
that if, if that hope is so scarce in your life, you're going to do everything for it. Mm. So like most, most, I can attest most high school kids aren't going to wake up before the sun and travel 60, 70 miles to go work with a coach before school starts. Yeah. Uh, some will. Um, and some, some with great, great upbringings will as well. But, uh, I think when you have a situation like yours, it almost like there's the, an extra bit of drive. Cause for you at that point in time, that might've been all you felt like you had. Oh, it was, I had nothing else. And I think that what my mom saw was you know, my parents were sports photographers and so they put me in every sport they could. Um, I was in, I'm a heavyweight, right. But they had me playing soccer and uh, horseback riding and tennis and uh, baseball and basketball and football. And I mean, just every, every sport uh, that the school had, I was doing it track and field. I was mm-hmm. shot put in discus and um, I did, uh, I did steer wrestling and calf roping and uh, I was doing all of it. But whenever seventh and eighth grade hip and the hit and the bullying didn't stop, I quit it all. Mm-hmm. I walked away from football, uh, which I was good at. I walked away from everything. And my dad was the one that took it harder. And my mom was more ob- observing, like, what's going on? How can we help all this stuff? And then whenever I finally said, this is the one thing I want to do, this is it. And, um, and they first shut it down, but then I came back. You know, because because they thought I was going to be getting hit in the head. Mm. I said MMA, but then whenever I change it to wrestling, yeah, <laughs> I studied MMA, and I'm like, you know what? The best MMA fighters are wrestlers. That's let's, where I'll let's start. start here. Yeah, yeah we're smart. Here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, a funny story for you is I I got um, I, I used all my allowance. I was going to go buy a BB gun. I lived on like a little. Uh, we had a barn, and there was rats in there. Mm-hmm. So I was going to shoot some rats, and uh, and they um. I, I went to a flea market where they had like some stuff and I was with some friends. I bought UFC two through 10 cause they're missing UFC one instead of the BB gun. I came across that just by chance. And when I looked at those guys, I was like, Oh, if I could become that, I bet they wouldn't get bullied. Yeah. I bet they don't get bullied. I bet they're not invited to a party to get made fun of and other stuff. Right. And I took that, I put it under my bed. I was hiding it cause my parents were pretty conservative and, um, anyways, when my, my, when my dad found it, when I, he, he, he walked in, I turn off the old school TV with a VHS in it. Right. And the VCR still moving and the screen is still like kind of gray, not black. He's like, what do you watch? And I'm like acting asleep. <laughs> I'm acting asleep out the remote in my hand. And, uh, he took that tape out and he found that it was fighting. And next time he comes in. Uh, he's like, what is this? And it was banned on pay-per-view at the time. They have porn on pay-per-view, but they yeah. don't have MMA fighting. <laughs> and uh, and then he found the stack of VHS tapes under the bed. He thought it was porn. <laughs> 13 years old. Thought it was porn. It was just MMA. I think he was, says that he was he was more worried about me being, being an MMA fighter than a kid <laughs> watching porn. But uh, anyways, uh, I just knew what I wanted to do. And they they truly got behind me. And I think the reason they were willing to make whatever sacrifice uh, it took was because they knew how dark of a place I was in. And the the kids I was surrounding myself with, because they were kind of the outcast kids too. One kid was like blowing up frogs with, uh, with fireworks. And another was like cutting himself and doing the fake tattoos all over his body. Not fake, but like sharpie sure. marks and mm-hmm. uh, not that's bad. Just they were in dark places. And I think they wanted to change my environment. Um, and get me around more positive people. And my mom was awesome. She was all about goal setting and 
uh, she wrote me a note in my high school national championship that I won. She wrote me a letter and it said, uh, you know, in this nice card, it said, you know, at the end it was like, I love you dream big, win big, now go win this. Mm-hmm. And I got to actually took that out. We, we had blood rags and like this, it was a small note. So you have to put a blood rag in your singlet. And so I actually put the note inside the blood rag. Um, and if you get a bloody nose or something like that, but I, I just felt like I'm not, if anyone's getting bloody, it's not me. Yeah. So I, I, had, <laughs> I had her no, note in my singlet and I went out there and just knew like, I, I've put in way too much time. I've worked way too hard and I have too many reasons to win. Um, and so it was so awesome. I ran, jumped into the crowd and went right up to her and gave her the biggest, sweatiest hug ever. <laughs> And, uh, and I think for me, uh, I want to ask you, you know, when you're in those races, how can you apply this to life to not quit? Mm -hmm. Because my first year, year and a half of wrestling, I won one match by one point and it was because I basically fell on a guy (laughs) (laughs) and I would go up to Oklahoma to wrestle from, from Dallas, Fort Worth and kids would, there was this one kid, he was actually from Missouri, but it was the Southern duels. He was holding me down with one hand and he was laughing as he was pinning me and I was fighting like crazy to get yeah. off. He's laughing, looking around at his coaches and out of meanness, he, I think it was out of meanness. It might've been an accident, but I remember he, he need me right in the nose uh-huh. while I, while he was pinning me and then my bl- blood just spurted everywhere. And I just felt so defeated. I went and cried in the locker room by myself. I remember my dad telling me, you, you know, you don't have to do this. You can quit. And I remember him wanting me to play football, right? He didn't really believe in me in wrestling, but I showed, showed that I could, could wrestle, right? That I could play football. But whenever you have those voices come up or you think you're, or, or whenever it's all on the line, right? You've, mm-hmm. you've done all the work. 99% of it's done on the months that you've, you've uh, been training. And now it's race day. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you overcome any of that mental, those mental obstacles or physical Yeah. And I think like the mental side of this is probably the part that's evolved the most for me throughout my career. Uh, It's something I had to learn um, sometimes the hard way. And the physical side of it was just, you know, that was always a little more clear to me. Um, Granted, it took me a little bit of time to kind of figure out what exactly should I be doing (laughs) in terms of training? Because it is different. You know, it's, it's not like a 5k to 10k, like I raced in college, it's, you know, a hundred miles. So there is some variance and, you know, some of it's semi like, uh, unknown because you still, we don't have a lot of research in ultra running relative to some of the more Olympic distance type events. So some of it is a little bit of guesswork, a little bit of just like playing around end of one type stuff or like what's working for other people, what things that we know from studies, can we realistically extrapolate forward and apply to, you know, a race that takes you all day versus, you know, 15 minutes or something like that. So, you know, that part though, once I think I kind of figured out how to make that click, that was more just like, okay, now I have the formula. I can dial that up. That's not in question. I just have to make sure I'm doing the other things that are going to help me improve like sleep, proper nutrition, try not to get hurt, that sort of stuff. The race day stuff is interesting, more interesting to me from the mental standpoint. I think that's the part where I've seen a lot more growth. And some of it is like when it, at first it became like, okay, how do you wrap your head around hundred miles? And the answer is you don't, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you wrap your head around what you want to do, but then you kind of 
disassociate from that and start working on like kind of small goals along the way. Like I want to try to get to like mile 10 at this time, mile 20 at this time, and just like chunk it in a way where you can kind of take bite-sized pieces at one at a time. And then before you know it, you have that last piece and you're like, okay, now let's do this. Um, sometimes the trail races are a little easier for this because you have like aid stations. So you're like, I'm just going to decide how I want to kind of attack each aid station and then kind of do them one at a time. And then just as they come, I'll take care of them. And as long as you're running within like reason of what you're capable of, then that typically works pretty well. Um, but what I think really clicked for me too, was you have those situations where things just go terribly wrong. I mean, kind of like your, your wrestling match where, um, you know, where, where you I was embarrassed. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I had a race where I thought I was in shape for the world record in 2017 and went to a, a great venue for it. It's uh the desert Celsius track invitational. And, uh, you know, there was some, when I look at it in hindsight, I was probably being a little ambitious given that it was a little warmer than it normally is for that event. And, um, perhaps it was a little too soon to really go after that particular time. And I blew up and dropped out at 60 miles. I mean, it was, like it would have been one thing if I had ran the 60 miles incredibly fast relative to what I could do just a solid 60 miles in, but it really even that, it wasn't even that like, uh, uh, it's not like I went out too terribly fast. I just didn't have it. And it was quite short, 40 miles short. So like that is kind of embarrassing and it's kind of, it's humbling too. And, um, eventually I think you have to get to the point where you have to look at that as like, is this going to give me, is this a sign that I should quit and do something else? Or is this a sign that I need to refocus on how I'm going about this? Go back to the drawing board. Yeah. Go back to the drawing board get to a degree. Yeah. Get better. And then how do I mentally process this differently? So I don't find myself at 60 miles thinking I need to quit when perhaps I don't. Um, maybe I do in some cases, maybe I don't, but like, how do I give myself a better chance and it's really interesting because uh, I just want to relate it to fighting at least mm-hmm. right now. And, and we'll, we'll relate this to life, I think too, but the, in fighting after a fighter f- loses, sometimes you go out there and you just don't feel it that day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've done everything right. The training camp went perfect. You, you really aren't banged up and you go out. And I remember one time on the ultimate fighter, I just went out there and, and I had had a staph infection too. I was taking these, uh, anyways, antibiotics. I just went out there and I, it wasn't in front of a crowd. It wasn't, there wasn't walkout music. It's in a little bitty like warehouse because it's just about TV. And I just didn't feel it. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get myself amped up, trying to get it. And it felt like, I felt like it was like less than sparring. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lost a split decision. But anyways, I, sometimes you don't feel it and you're like, oh man, afterwards you can be so hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I just don't got it anymore. When really it was just like, a bad day, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and it, it makes sense too. And I think the interesting thing with ultra running, I think I see this happen from time to time where, uh, you know, they're long races. So it is like, if you do enough of them, you're probably gonna have one where you don't finish for whatever reason. Uh, some people manage not to, but, uh, you can make the argument whether it's smart to try to finish everyone you yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause I think there are times when pulling the plug is the move. Uh, but for me, it was like, that you want to be able to come back and do it again. It's like a guy exactly. fighting, you're in a submission mm-hmm. and it's like a lot of people have this pride and ego where it's yeah. like, don't tap. I never tap. Right. And if you don't tap, you might get that thing snapped. And you're not going to be able to fight right effectively for the rest of your career mm-hmm. or you might have a nagging injury. So. Right. No, that's a perfect example. Or I think that runs parallel. Like you can 
try to gut out a race and get like a year, like a season ending or a year long injury that takes you to bounce back from. And then maybe you never get it back and you're never back to the position where you were before. So yeah, I think these are things that you should consider um, regardless of whether you're winning races or just out there doing it for fun. Um, But yeah, for me specifically, I think like that one race in 2017 kind of bled into 2018 where um, I probably just wasn't a hundred percent doing races that I was really excited to do. So it was hard to kind of get built up for it. And then I just had some bad luck too, like taking a wrong turn on a course and you end up five miles off course now. So like, Ooh. what do you do in that situation when your goal yeah. was to finish in the top, you know, top two or three, and then you find yourself in a position where you're in the back half of the pack and there's just no way you're really going to catch back up and, and that sort of stuff. But, uh, when it kind of clicked for me is like what you, you alluded to before was, how am I actually visualizing this process? Mm-hmm. And to that point, I was looking at things um, almost too separate when it came to everything involved from the first run I would do in preparation for a particular event to the last step I would take at that event. And I was looking at the training as kind of one phase and then the racing as another phase. And that allowed me, I think, to kind of build both of those up to be much bigger than they actually were which became maybe a little too mentally taxing to try to wrap my head around that. So I started thinking of it more, at least during the races specifically, like this is part of a four month or sometimes six month process. And you can probably relate to this with fighting too, because you guys plan your fights far out in advance where you're doing a lot of stuff to build up. You're probably periodizing the way you train, leading into it and all that stuff. I started looking at it like that. So like if I'm standing on the starting line of a hundred mile race, if I'm thinking of it as a four to six month project, then even before I take the first step in that particular event, I'm 99% of the way there. Mm. So then when you find yourself a mile 40, mile 50, mile 60, and you're thinking, do I really have it today? Uh, should I, you know, cut bait and try again later? You have to say, well, you could do that. And in some cases that might be the right decision, but do know you're throwing away 99%, not 99% of the work you already put in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you might, I mean, you can get opportunities again sometimes. And then it's a, you know, you're training from one block will bleed into another block. So there is like this cumulative, like uh, uh benefit you're getting from just staying healthy from year in and year out. So there is that, but uh, you, I try not to let myself think about that because then it's going to kind of put me in the mindset of like, Oh, well, just carry over to the next one and then I'll do better there. You kind of have to just ignore that more or less, but that really helped me. And I, I don't, I don't know for sure how impactful that would be for someone else. If that would be something that's a kind of population level, good advice, or if that's an individual thing that's just really clicked with me and made it a lot easier for me to kind of push past a point where I would have typically thought, all right, here's my limit. And I can't go any faster than this, or I need to slow down because it's going to end badly. If I don't, I started thinking, uh, oh, I think I can go a little further, a little harder. I, I think it's, I think it's good a way that I could think of maybe even Amy, but if you got anything, but I, I, I feel like for me, sometimes outside of fighting and hopefully outside of this podcast now and outside of fight for the forgotten, sometimes I might start a side project and I put a lot of investment into it, but I'd never take it over the finish line. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not often on that, but, but I think I feel a lot of questions I feel are people like I start something and then I never finish or start something and I get so close to finishing, but before I do get it over that finish line, mm-hmm. you know, something happens, something comes up, I put it, put it back down. I think if, I think if you always remind yourself of the work that you've already put in 
and I've gotten here. Like, let's keep this going. Consistency, determination, like, like let's, let's finish this thing. Do you mm-hmm. have anything on that, Amy? No, I totally agree though. There's so many times we don't cross the finish line. I'm, I've done that too many times in my life, you know, and I like the idea of viewing it as a process, what Zach said, you know, and really like stepping back and thinking about the whole, the whole project, you know, yeah, it's good to carry forward. The other interesting thing about that too, is I think you sometimes have these scenarios too, where people, they're willing to take it over the goal line, but, uh, or they know what I shouldn't say they're willing They they know what to do to take it over the goal line but they get a little bit of paralysis from, well, if I actually accomplish this, then what's next in the sense of what are the expectations going to be of me? If I do this and people see this as like a huge success for me, uh, you know, am I going to be able to live up to it more or less? And I think that can be kind of paralyzing for people, especially if they're doing something you know, like a, you are, you know, you're, you're at a point now, like when you started fight for the forgotten, you first got interested and you probably thought, okay, this is going to be something, this is gonna be a one man show where I just help the, as many people as I can. And, you know, some people will care, some people won't, but I'll be kind of a passing figure through a lot of people's lives and hopefully help a bunch of them. Whereas now enough people know who you are enough. Well-known people are interested in what you're doing that it, at some points it has to be hard to just be able to say like, I can do this and I can continue to do this. I can be a spokesperson for this cause or be like the the poster person for this cause does that kind of weigh on you at all differently than it maybe did when you first started yeah um it definitely does and just for the team to know i think i hear like a computer fan or something over there potentially through a mic but to um to get to get back on that yeah sometimes i think for me with fight for the forgotten I mean we started off and the goal was two water wells on 30 acres of land, uh-huh. two water wells on 30 acres of land. And now we have over 3000 acres of land, 78 water wells. We're building our, uh, we're about to build our third of these, no fourth of these massive water towers. We expanded from Congo to Uganda. We've drilled a well in Tanzania. We want to be in all eight or nine African nations that the pygmy people are in. And now we're looking at uh, rainwater collection as well as water wells. So it's kind of like having your checkings and savings, right? Like mm-hmm. you got the well as the savings and maybe the rains, the, the checking account that you can, you can spend as it comes in, you know? Sure. And, uh, but 32 homes and the things that just blow my mind. I, I, when I, when I, oh, 10 years ago, whenever I buried Andy Bo and had blisters on my hands from digging the grave and his blood on my hands, like, I was like speechless, flabbergasted, frustrated, heartbroken, gut-wrenching, crushed. And now, and it, the reason was because of the water crisis, but also um, he was denied hospital treatment. They said, we won't waste our medicine on a pygmy animal. Not once, but twice. And now we're building a a medical clinic and a pharmacy. <laughs> it took 10 years, but man, it's it like, I think for me, you know, you just get started sometimes. And, and I, uh, Amy's smiling back there because <laughs> she's been telling me that for probably seven months on this podcast, just get started. And <laughs> yeah. Joe's been telling me that for like 
12 years with uh, or 10 years at least it, with the podcast. It reminded me of that quote by Marianne Williamson. I just looked it up where she says, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure, Yeah, you know, and it, and it's just that pushing past that comfort zone and to like not only doing it, but then, oh my gosh, where am I? And what's everybody going to think? And then I've got to actually like grow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, for, for whenever we do wrap this up, I'd love if you find that that quote in its entirety. It's like a paragraph. Oh yeah, like, I've got. Uh, I can look maybe, it up right now. Maybe mm-hmm. eight, it's it's so good. Sentences. It's so good. I think that would be a great way to finish it, though. Okay. Unless you unless you want to go now, because it's uh, yeah, it's powerful. Sure. Have you heard the full quote? Because everyone heard. I'm that. pretty sure I have. Or maybe I haven't heard the full one. I know yeah. I've heard the the sentence that that Amy just read. I think. But. Yeah. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Um, let me find it really quick. Just you can keep yeah. talking for a second. But I mean, I think that it takes a tribe um, for fight for the forgotten, and having um, having so many supporters like you, like Joe, like now Manny Pacquiao, Dustin Poirier, Chris Cyborg, like world champions and in their sports, like that helps. Um, well, what Amy and I want to do with our podcast it's it's lift other people's voices up and y'all have lifted my voice up as i try to lift up the the pygmy people's voice and for me for me to get something over the finish line mm-hmm. i always have to attach it to purpose i just do like it's in my dna or it's in my makeup and i mean discipline too and commitment and like uh being a man of my word like those are all good things but but nothing will get me to more driven, more fire under my ass than if this is something that truly matters. It's going to benefit somebody else. And now it's, you know, benefit me too. I used to always deny myself stuff to give others things or, or help them. And Amy's really helped out and, and, and this mastermind group and, and a bunch of things that I've been doing. It's like, man, I got to love myself. Like my life depends on it because it does. Yeah. You were also operating from like a scarcity mindset with that, where you're like, yeah. oh, if, if, if I deny myself, then someone else will have something rather than like, there's enough for everybody. Yeah. Uh, she's right. Like I, I had moments because, because there can be extremes on both ends and some of the extremes I went to, you know, sleeping on the dirt and mm-hmm. having the fire be my blanket and being rained on and like, um, I got sick a lot because of that. There might've been ways I could have minimized it, you know, uh, a little bit just, uh, and they would have understood I'm not from there mm-hmm. and I could live in a tent, you know, yeah. and uh, I'm still out there with them, but I, I would go to many extremes and I, I love that. I wouldn't change anything now uh, about the way I lived there, but I would change how I came back and I denied myself a lot of opportunities thinking like, this is, this is money I don't need, or, or I have to give a hundred percent of it to the charity and I would be like struggling to pay my bills hmm. because I would, I was in culture shock of yeah. like, uh, I came back and I didn't sleep on a bed for six months because I had slept on the, the ground and that might've been good for my back. Some people said it was like, it's good for your back. And until it isn't until it isn't because it started to hurt. <laughs> and I felt like guilt mm-hmm. in me that I came back here and I have all this stuff mm-hmm. and I've buried five kids that, that like, um, you know, didn't have clean water. I'm giving my dog clean water. I'm using the toilet and clean water. Like, like there was a bit of an adjustment for me where I was like, it was a real mind. Um, how do you call that? Uh, a big mind fuck. Yeah. I was like, 
Um, so, so I, now it's like, you know, I think Amy hit it where it's like, I don't have to have a scarcity mindset where I have to deny myself to help others. Now it's like, as I help me, I can help others more. This podcast overcome with Justin Rin is brought to you by Onnit. It's a company I absolutely love. They donate to fight for the forgotten. They are the first sponsor of the show, making it possible for you, me, we to be inspired and to overcome. I really, really do appreciate them as a company. We're going to create a t-shirt line and the t-shirt line will a hundred percent of the proceeds go to fight for the forgotten. That doesn't tell you anything about their character. I hope that that does They're minus the cost of the shirts. A hundred percent is going to fight for the forgotten. I'm not taking a cut. They're not taking a cut, but we're going to make one either for overcome or fight for the forgotten or like a Justin Wren signature shirt or all three. And uh, I'm really excited about that. Isn't that cool, Amy? It's so cool. Yeah. I told you that, right? You did. Yeah. I did, yeah. yeah it was yeah. one of the things I was just like, I this forgot, can't, though. This can't get any better. This just <laughs> gets better and better. Um, and Alpha Brain Black Label, that has been really helping me out. Is that out. keeping you on point today? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly. Um, I haven't tried it yet. Well, I haven't shared it with you. I, know. I only got one <laughs> bottle of that. I've got the regular Alpha Brain. I know, uh, and it looks which, really good. Which you feel Alpha Brain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely do. Um, but I save the black label for days like these, podcasting. And uh, when I want to be in that flow state, how do they, can you pull that up? How do they say Well, they it? basically say it's like when you really want to, get stuff done. Yeah. And it says it refines your flow state. And they said it's the most potent alpha brain product yet. So it has new ingredients that support alertness, focus brain and eye health, which is so cool. Yeah. Is that the difference that you feel? Um, Well, I mean, I'm not, I don't notice that I'm seeing more clearly like uh, like down the scope, (laughs) but I am noticing uh, that. (sighs) Yeah, I absolutely. I'm, I'm more on top of it. I feel you know, when I had malaria, uh, it, it affected my speech. And uh, before that, I had speech therapy. And on those days that I feel really tired, I get nervous. I get nervous that a stutter is going to start coming back out. And the days that I've taken the black label, I don't know. I, I honestly feel like I get in that flow state quicker and I stay in that flow state longer. Well, that's what it says it does. It says it oh, promotes right. a flow state and a feeling of deep focus and it maintains levels of neurotransmitters and chemicals that are relaying signals to and from the brain. And it promotes your attention span, your cognitive performance, your learning, your long-term memory, and re- like a relaxed alertness, which is so badass. Yeah, that, that's that's true. The relaxed alertness, alertness, they have a little bit of caffeine in it, but it's plant-based derived uh, caffeine. And it's not the jittery kind. Like sometimes you remember that time you got me that coffee that was yeah, super strong. It was the nitro mm-hmm. cold brew. And I yeah, normally yeah. just drink normal cold yeah. brew. And you got me the normal like size. I've never seen you out of and, like that. Oh my goodness. That <laughs> caffeine high was too much. I think I told you this was way too much. And I was shaky, jittery. I did. I don't like that. I, I've been a professional athlete and all these guys. I don't like it either. Drink like those it. things that, oh, I forget the red line drinks and not to bash on them. But man, you better read that, that it's two serving size in that bottle. Because if you have <laughs> like a full bottle, you are going to be wrecked. I'm wrecked with but one not with serving. this, not, not with this. this, not with this. He you says it's relaxed calm. alertness without feeling jittery. You, and they also say you can take it daily. Uh, I think Alpha Brain Black, you can't take daily. It says you can. I'm reading it right here. It says when taken daily, it can also support brain and eye health, help to regulate the stress that comes from long periods of hard work in front of a screen. 
Well, you can take it daily, but the, yeah. uh, according to the research, but I say <laughs> probably dial it back where you want those to feel potent and you don't want to build up any sort of, I don't, I don't think I haven't ever built up a tolerance to alpha brain regular, but I definitely want to protect the black label where if I'm feeling down or uh, a little low and I take that, that I'm really going to feel it, really going to notice it. So I get both. Yeah. I get the regular alpha brain. I get the alpha brain black label. And you can alternate those. Alternate it says you're not, you're not really supposed to take them both on the same day. So you want yeah. to like alternate. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But if it's just the caffeine, most people are over caffeinated anyways. <laughs> I try to, uh, I, I, I drink caffeine, but I, I try to stay away from it as as much as I can so that when I need it on a training day or a day where I'm, I'm feeling fatigued, where I notice it, I feel it instead of, uh, overwork my adrenal glands. And I don't think you could do that with alpha brain black label because it is that kind of calm alertness. So anyways, thank you alpha brain or thank you on it and alpha brain for helping me perform better and also getting behind fight for the forgotten. Yeah. Uh, I love y'all. And if you want to order it, this awesome nootropic, then you can do so at onit.com with your code. Yeah. Get a discount. Yep. Overcome. Use Mm -hmm. the, use the discount code overcome. You get 10% off and they're donating to fight for the forgotten. So it's a win-win you win. We win because. And you know what? They have a free gift actually. When you buy alpha brain black label right now, they have this little travel case for it. Wow. Yeah, it's really cute, actually. Well, that would be awesome to get because uh, Alpha Brain Black Label is in a pill form. It's not in the uh, It's a, it's a little carrier for your pills. It's Great. really cute. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like that black steel thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, yeah I, I need to get one of those to carry around on my keychain. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Actually, right. so, yeah. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to Overcome Podcast. We love you, and we hope that you're really enjoying Zach Bitter. Because he is an incredible human being. Wait until you get into the second half of this podcast. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about that, that probably runs kind of along a similar line is just for you, as you've gotten the charity to where it's gotten today, there's probably a fairly endless stream of folks you could help. Mm. Uh, And with that, becomes a scenario where you're in a position where like you could stay up all night every night and try to help every single person and hunt down the very last person you could to to try to help out and then you know find yourself in a position where you've worn yourself so thin you're not functioning or that you know you you tap out earlier than you would have otherwise and and you almost have to look at it like I need to take care of myself mm-hmm. so that I can keep giving because if I go too hard or too specific uh, in the short term, maybe I make more gains in that one or two year in terms of people I've helped. But if it takes the next two decades off the table, how many people do I end up not being able to help that I would have otherwise? So you're almost in this position now where the best use for you is, I mean, I think you still can help individuals, but like you're kind of in a position where you need to kind of create like mini Justins around you <laughs> where he, now you have like, you know, like a, bu- like a bunch of people who are like willing to kind of do what you're able to do or people you're almost like in a role where, or you could be in a role where you're helping people with a similar story as yours to become the person you are, someone similar to that so that they can kind of take on part of that, 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 that load of what is out there to help. And, and that's where the, probably the biggest impact comes. Yeah. And uh, I mean, honestly, you just spurred a thought in my mind and hopefully this uh, makes sense. But I like what you said, I used to stay up 
replying to messages mm -hmm. on, uh, you probably dealt with that too, maybe right after you got off Rogan's the first time sure. or something, you want to get back to every single person, mm -hmm. but all of a sudden Instagram only takes, it only holds like 99 in the request inbox. And so once a hundred comes in, you lose that first one that sent it. And then when another hundred comes in, those first hundred are gone. And so I would try to get to them as quick as I could say thank you at least or mm -hmm. like it or or respond with something meaningful but man hopefully i mean joe's impact is so great because he's got a podcast you got a podcast like hopefully we can impact more people through this medium of like sharing our stories and our meaningful conversations with people that you know for me when i listen to a podcast i feel like the host their guest they're inviting me in on that that living room kind of conversation like i get to sit on the couch or the recliner while they're having this cool talk and I get to, I get to, to be invited in on it. And I mean, I remember, um, I watched this talk one time and it just shifted my perspective of like to not fight for myself, but to fight for others. And I mean, that kind of did not have a personal conversation with me. Um, but it was one of the things that made me say, okay, now is go time. We'll fight for the free and I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. and I was just listening to some guy talk to other people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so hopefully this, this platform, this podcast can do that. Can I ask you with your goals? Like, because my goals, sometimes I have to, I have to make sure I don't, that I remember I, I can't take the weight of everything a lot of times. And so I need to look at fight for the forgotten you know, thank God I, we, we've made it 10 years so far, but I want it to go on for another 90 years or more, right? And outlive me. And so fight for the forgotten or anyone's impact in their life. Like it's not a sprint. It's a, not a marathon. It's an ultra marathon. Mm -hmm. You know, it, yeah. you got to go on and on. When you're setting goals for the ultra marathon, what does that look like for you? Do you actually map it out on paper? You said you're pretty analytical. Is, is that just race day or is that building up to it? Like what? Do you attach your goals? Or another way to say this, would you, do you attach your goals to like meaning or reward? Like what are some of your key motivations? What's a reward you might get if you don't do it or if you get it and what's the consequence? I've, I've heard of people doing this and mm -hmm. I've seen it, uh, seen it work. Yeah. And this is probably another growth area for me throughout my career is kind of getting better at doing that. So when I first kind of got in the sport, it was kind of like, almost like a kid in a candy shop where there's all these cool events. And it's like, I just want to do as many of them as I can. Mm. And, you know, maybe I'll do half a training block for that FOMO. one. Yeah. Maybe I'll jump out. in that one. Out. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll do this mountain race, even though I've only been running on flat roads for the last five months or something like that. And, <laughs> and, and yeah. that sort of stuff. And, and I think there's what eventually what you have to do is you have to get to a point where you can kind of like put these pieces where they belong and actually pick what's meaningful for you and then kind of build build backwards from like big goals to really small goals. So I like to look at it from, I mean, you can have a goal as big as what do I want my career to look like? Like, what do I want the end outcome when I finally run my last race? What do I want to be able to like say I accomplished? So that's like the big kind of like the reason, the why I'm doing it at a grand scale. Can you, can you share maybe sure. what was one of the things mm -hmm. you, you wrote down for you? Yeah. And this is something that has evolved for me. And I think it, this is probably common if, if you give it a lot of thought is like, uh, when I first kind of got attached to these fast runnable hundred miles, you know, I latched onto the world record. I was like, that's a cool goal. That's something I can really get behind. I want to be able to say I broke that world record and that remained a goal, but it maybe stepped down a tier from the end goal to a goal. 
And the end goal kind of shifted somewhere in there between when I ran the American record for 100 miles in 2013 and then uh, broke what is now the previous world record in 2019. Uh, it's to like, I don't necessarily need to break the world record to feel like I had a complete career, yeah. but I need to know that I ran the best race I could given like whatever variables happen to present themselves. So that, that was helpful to me in the sense that it kind of took the weight off my shoulders of being like, I need to be a world record holder or bust to, I need to be the best I can be. And if that happens to bring a world record along for the ride, great. Uh, it's also been, I'm, I'm so glad I shifted that before I broke the world record too, because I think had I went into that race in 2019 and broke the world record for hundred miles in 12 hours and had my previous mindset, my mind would have shifted from hunting that record to, I need to keep this. Mm. And since I pivoted in the middle there before doing that, instead of my mind going there, my mind went to, okay, I just moved this particular aspect of the sport forward a step. Yes. Um, I am now the fastest person who have done this particular type of event. And there will be a time where someone does it faster than me and I become a stepping stone for that person. And that person will become a stepping stone for another person. And it will just carry on and carry on. And if you don't look at it that way and you look at it the other way, where it's like, I want this world record and I want to die with it, you're going to live a miserable life because you're going to live every day thinking about who's going to go after this, who's better than me, who's going to outwork me, who's going to have a better you know, outcome from weather and all these other weird things that are going to cross your mind if that's your main focus. So like, I don't, I wouldn't credit myself with doing that intentionally, but it just happened to be the path forward. Uh, and I'm very grateful that that was the way it kind of processed. I love that. Mind. Um, so to kind of answer your question, those are kind of like the big goals, right? Those are the big, big ones that, that get you excited. Like when you first decide to do them and they can like provide big bounce of motivation periodically throughout your day to day, but ultimately they're very grand in the sense that they take a lot of time. So you need smaller goals along the way to kind of sense that there's a purpose there or get you through the hard days or get you through the days where, you know, you should go out and do a workout, but you just don't feel like it. Uh, so then I try to kind of like get a little more micro and then, then it might be like, I'll scale down to what do I need to do for this particular race? I'm going to do, um, you know, usually it's about a four month window of time between start to finish, unless I'm coming in out of shape for whatever reason or off season, then maybe it's six months. And then I break that down into kind of periods or blocks. Like I'm going to do a block of training where it's very specific to the race distance and intensity, the environment. I'm going to do a block where I'm focusing on like an intensity that you'd call like your lactate threshold. I'm going to do a block of training where I'm focusing on like VO2 max or short intervals and stuff like that. And I'm going to do a phase of training where I'm just laying the base, the foundation where I'm doing like really kind of aerobic, uh, aerobic threshold or below type workout. So that lower, um, the endurance athletes listening will maybe think like zone one, zone two type work and that sort of foundational, uh, stuff. Uh, and then from there, you can even break it down to like weekly or daily where it's like, okay, now I have these workouts kind of plotted out. Uh, now it's about executing one at a time and drawing the satisfaction from that. So it could be something as simple as, oh yeah, when I take a day off that I didn't need, I just feel miserable all day. Like I feel good at first saying, oh, I guess I just got out of that. And that, that lasts about 30 minutes. And then all of a sudden I just regret not doing it. Uh, so then the incentive is kind of like, okay. Did I, am, am I recovered? Am I ready to go? Have I checked all those boxes to justify doing this workload? The answer is yes. Get out there and do it. And then it always feels better afterwards. Mm -hmm. So you have that kind of constant reminder. That's kind of that day to day one. And then you can build ones that are slightly longer than that, but still smaller than the bigger ones where it's like, uh, here's this three week 
time frame where I'm going to be focusing on a specific intensity and like, what is my pace at a specific intensity for the first workout compared to the sixth one? And yeah. like, where's the improvement there? Cause it's really fun. I mean, everyone loves to see that progress. So if I yeah. go out and do a three minute interval and cover like just under a kilometer on the first workout, but then on like the fourth one, I'm just over a kilometer. I can see that. And as a tangible progress, that's like, that's me getting better. Yeah. That steps forward. That means that the work that I'm doing feels is meaningful. Good. Mm -hmm. It feels good when you know you got better. Uh, I know that I had a significant amount of time off from uh, a little bit of an injury and moving out here to Austin. And, and whenever I got back in there and had my first real sparring day, um, I mean, I sparred one day real light, sparred another day real light. We're just going at it. And then I was getting in shape at on it. I was getting in shape with my boxing coach. I was getting in shape on the mats. Still am. But whenever I finally turned it on and um, I was going to get some, some good guys, some, mm -hmm. some pro kickboxers, a pro boxer, and I got the better of them. You know, I was like, Ooh, I remember I came home to Amy. I was like, I was, I was, I was fired up. I was excited because I was getting better and I want to do this goal. But I think what was really powerful about what you said is if that's your end goal to just break the world record, like you'll end up getting disappointed because now you're going to fight to stay on top as long as you can. Fighters for sure have a bad history of not leaving when they're on top mm -hmm. or fighting for too long where that's all it's about. I got to get my belt back. I got to get my belt back and they get their bell rung and you can watch certain fighters that used to be the baddest dudes on the planet. Mm -hmm. And then they just get knocked out and knocked out and knocked out and it's easier. It's quicker than the times before. And because they have a name, the promoters might, you know, use that to their advantage to sell more tickets sure. or the fighter just doesn't want to retire. And I think a lot of times it's because their identity is wrapped up in mm -hmm. that fully, completely wholeheartedly. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that you broke out of that mold of like, no, I just want to run my best race. And I do everything I could to, to, to do that this time. And if you do that, you could be the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for me, like I broke out of that too. Cause I remember, I don't know if I ever shared this with you. Have I ever told you about my hand being raised? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. 13 times or more or less than that maybe. But, um, I, there's not one picture of me smiling after the fight. Not one, because it was just about, uh, winning and then I'd win and then it didn't fulfill me as much as what's I thought. Next? Yeah, yeah. What's next? I would think that, yeah, my hands up in there and I'm thinking what's next. Mm -hmm. And for me, it became parties. Cause like that, uh, or that night you either, everyone around you wants to celebrate you winning or you lose and you just want to kind of erase that. Cause you right, feel like, yeah. you know, uh, embarrassed. So I'd use, because that would actually change the way I feel. And whenever I'd win and get my hand raised, I didn't really change the way that I felt enough because I didn't have that passion, purpose, meaning in that. Now, now after the fights for a fight for the forgotten, since I started that thing, every one of them I'm, I'm incredibly joyful after because I'm not just fighting for me, I'm fighting for them. Mm -hmm. And it's been really, really great to uh, attach that to. So, man, I'm just really, really grateful for the man that you are, how you're supporting us. How, how are you going about running across America? <laughs> uh, we're about to go get some treatment done um, after we wrap up this podcast in a bit, but man, like what is that journey like and, and where would you start? What elements would you go through? I mean, you're going to go through a desert. You're going to go through <laughs> a continental divide. 
There's, there's a snow lot. up there. There's very little air up there. <laughs> yeah, there is. A, that's the interesting part about going across the country is you're going to see and experience a pretty big variety. So, you know, and one of the interesting things about this particular project for me is that it is very different from what I've done historically. I've done a lot of ultra marathons, but they've been single day events where you have yourself in this situation where the goal is essentially to wring yourself dry to the point where if you wake up the next day and you feel good, you're probably thinking, like, did I really run as fast as I could? <laughs> Whereas with something like the, a transcontinental effort, you know, like the record by Pete Koselnick is uh, 42 days, six hours and 30 minutes. So 40, 41 times he woke up the next day and did it again and did it again and did it again. Wow. And, uh, you know, so you kind of have to do it differently in the sense that what year did he do that? He did it in 2016. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, he's got like, he's the man when it comes to these long haul type things. He did this other project shortly thereafter that where he went up to uh, Keys, Alaska, which is a pretty far north in Alaska. And he did unsupported. So there's supported and unsupported. Right. There's like when you bring a crew along that helps yeah. you an RV and all supported. that stuff. There's unsupported. We're just out there by yourself. You're finding things where you can find it. And you're usually pushing a stroller so that you can, you know, have enough water and food and stuff. And he did, uh, he went from Keys, Alaska down to Keys, Florida. What? Yeah. Pushing a stroller. It's like 5,000 some miles. And he did it. He averaged like 50 miles a day, something like that. And it's, it gets weird what? too, because he might be in a situation where if he starts one morning, there's a reasonable spot to stop in 20 miles, but there's not another reasonable spot to stop for another like 60 or 70 after that. So he's got to, go. he's got to like say, okay, I'm going to have a short day today so that I can get to that next spot. So you got to really be a lot more, uh, I guess, prepared from in terms of what's coming up ahead of you and what you can reasonably do. And then you're at the mercy of what your body can provide as well. So yeah, it's, it's going to be like something very new to me. And, uh, you know, perhaps I'm learning some of that along the way with it as well, because, you know, originally we were planning on doing that, doing this project in September this year. Um, I picked up an injury, uh, probably was about four weeks ago at this point. So I haven't done a whole lot of running since then. And I, I need to get it strong before I can ask it to get me across the country. Right. So with the window of time that's ideal for this type of a project, it's basically September because then you can get through. You're not hitting heat of the summer anywhere, like the worst parts anyway. Uh, and you're also getting through the spots that would be brutal for winter before they really come in, both on the East Coast and over the Sierras and all those other places. So I have to punt it down the road a little bit in order to be able to do it right. But uh, it's we're going to get it done eventually. And it's yeah, it's gonna I know be, you are. <laughs> it's going to be an exciting experience and it's going to be a life changing experience. There's just no way yeah. around it. It's going to be uh, I mean, the silver lining, I guess, of not doing it this year and doing it down the road is I will have some opportunities perhaps to test out what you'd call like some stage races or multi-day events and get a little better grasp of what that is like to, you know, run for a huge chunk of the day, sleep for a bit, wake up and do it again with very little else going on in between, which I think will be helpful. So, you know, I like to think of things positively. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This happened for a reason. Right. And then perhaps I'm going to learn some things that I wouldn't have been able to before, you know, perhaps I'll be able to, I've, one thing I've done a really well, a really good job of so far is like talking to people and getting to know the experience from people who've had the experience. And I've learned so much in the last like three to four months uh, by, by, um, by talking to those folks and, and reading some of the like reports and stuff like that on it. So, I mean, now I just have another year to get even more of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it will, it, it's going to be a, a life changing experience for me, I'm sure. Uh, I think it's going to be one of the coolest things I'll be able to do for something other than just me. 
uh, which is the main reason for it, I would say. Uh, and I'm excited for that day to come when it does. Yeah. Well, uh, for the people not watching on YouTube that are just listening, you, you can't see the smile on my face when you're <laughs> saying, you know, being able to do it for another reason, which is fight for the forgotten. And man, uh, I can't imagine. I, I couldn't imagine when my friend Jeremy Schultz, I don't know if I told you about him, but how mm-hmm. he, I met or did I, did you talk to him? Yeah. I think I'm, was he at Santa Fe? He might've been, um, gosh, I feel Raiden like I was met there. Him. I know I met Raiden. I want to say Jeremy come in for it. He might've, I think I met Jeremy. I either Jeremy's met him come through a couple times or you and Jim have talked about him enough times where yeah, I feel like, I feel I, like met oh, you know what it was? Him. He, when I did the treadmill hundred mile, he was oh, one of my guest speakers. he was one of the guest speakers. Yep. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he was. And he did the transcontinental walk uh, unsupported. And one of the cool things about him doing unsupported, I did get to finish it with him, walked the last day. Mm-hmm. He walked about 20 miles a day. And the thing that he was able to have happen in this this other kind of way was he just had certain times like things would just happen along the journey Yeah, where he walked 500 miles out of the way or 250 out of the way to come to Oklahoma city. Cause he was up in Brooklyn when he started, yeah. walked out of the way, 250 miles and then back on course another like 250 miles back up. Mm-hmm. But when we got to Oklahoma city, I, I, I called some of the press and, and had some connections and we did a little press conference with him, and he did some news stories and man, all along in Oklahoma, the rest of the way, cause he was in the Oklahoma newspaper. He was in the Tulsa one. He was, man, people would see him and be like, him wearing his fight for the forgotten shirt or they'd see his big beard or he didn't trim at all on his entire walk. And he'd be inside somewhere at a grocery store and the person in front of him would just buy his groceries. Yeah. Someone else would like send him, you know, uh, find out he's staying at so-and-so hotel and they'd just pay for an extra night so he could get a little extra rest. And, um, he had this self-discovery journey that he said, absolutely changed his life, like all the experiences he had across. And I think you're going to have something so incredibly similar to that, that, that I got to do one day with Jeremy, but if there's a way for Amy and I, you're a podcaster, she is, she's the producer of my show. I am. And, uh, either we, we kickstart it with you or finish with you, you know, now we got more time to plan Yeah, and we'll have our feet under us with, with at least my podcast then maybe we come on that first leg or the last leg of a, a few days or a few weeks or something like that. And yeah, that'd be awesome. Support you on this journey and help, uh, get the word out, help get the word for the forgotten. Yeah. And you, yes, both, <laughs> both, because, uh, that's what I always want to remind any of our donors, you know, our, our ask right now, this, this next year is really going to be about developing our fight club. Mm-hmm which is our monthly giving club, our reoccurring donors, because that subscription model, like a Netflix, a Hulu, uh, whatever it is, um, Amazon Prime, you can plan and you can grow and you can know your budget and you can know exactly how many wells we can drill, how much land we can buy, or, or how the school uh, curriculums here mm-hmm. uh, stateside. Uh, we had something really exciting happen with a Conscious Coalition, who's a partner of ours that has done leadership training, conflict resolution, women's empowerment, uh, with the, the pygmy people in Uganda, the Batwa pygmies, but they want to really help kickstart something here stateside. And they're thinking doing it through fight for the forgotten with this other group that's in the UK, that's doing some incredible things with anti-bullying and suicide prevention. And we think it's all going to be underneath the fight for the forgotten banner. It might be, it might be a little premature to talk about now, but 
having that curriculum, but having an app and having all these things that are resources for students to know, mm-hmm. like, um, they can overcome whether it's those dark thoughts or whether it's people speaking out dark thoughts over them or dark words, whatever you call it, but just hurt people, hurt people, man. We want to, I think that as I've healed, I've been able to at times help others heal or as I've been helped, I've been at times able to help others and love people, love people, healed people, heal people. And that's what we want to do. And that fight club first rule of fight club is you do speak about fight club. <laughs> and, Otherwise no one's going to know about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you give like $5 a month or more or something like mm-hmm. that. And we're going to be doing some things that are like, maybe it's a monthly zoom or at least a quarterly zoom with me where people can do Q and A's, but we hope that we're going to do some giveaways with this podcast where if they like rate and review, um, rate it, leave a five-star review. They get a certain amount of entries to maybe it's a day out at on it. Mm-hmm. Um, come to Austin and come spend the day with me. Maybe it's come get an ice bath with, with Amy and I, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's a coaching call with you or yeah. something. And, uh, and, and it's such a good gift too. Like, I know I did that for somebody not that for their birthday and just like gave it as a gift, you know, for him, I did it to somewhere different, but, um, I, I'm still giving, you know, in his mm. name as a monthly thing. Mm. Yeah. That's that we, we had a kid, a kiddo one time, uh, and he was five years old. His name starts with a B. Why am I? I like that. That heart water sounded good yeah. on the mic. Yeah. It um, it's got a nice little like ping to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, this little man, this was like five years ago. Cause I know he's like 10 now. And he decided to not, not get any gifts for his birthday. He just wanted people to give to his little fundraiser. He started under fight for the forgotten. He had a fight for the forgotten birthday cake and a fight for the forgotten shirt. And that little guy wanted to raise like $300. He raised like 500. Mm-hmm. The next year he wanted to raise like $700. He raised like a <laughs> thousand. And the next year he, he raised like 2000. I went to his birthday. I surprised him, uh, drove all the way up for his hours away. And those kind of moments, he was, he was literally going around a little farm town in Oklahoma. He was literally going around to, uh, to bar neighbors in their barns yeah. and, 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 uh, being the pooper scooper for the pigs and the cows and stuff wow. like, yeah, yeah. Amy's like, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but he was, he was raising funds for us. You know, Hey, this is for my birthday. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come do this. If you donate to this cause. And I'm like, wow, you know, people just blow me away. I think there's more. Yes, there's a lot of selfishness in the world, but I think whenever we shift from, Amy's telling me that scarcity, that abundance mindset, but, but instead of that, like pessimistic to optimistic, like there's, there's, there's more good hearted people mm-hmm. in the world than bad, I think. And I think the bad just oftentimes has the loudest voice mm-hmm. Whereas what people focus on. And there's a lot of great people out there like you. Yeah. And I think I would, I would agree. I think most people want to help. And sometimes it's about just getting the information and the opportunities to do it. So like the thing that I thought that you told me at Santa Fe that has stuck with me, that is such an empowerful, empowering stat is that can kind of give people the information and the sense of kind of control or power that maybe I didn't feel like I had as much when I was teaching is that you, when, when there is like, you know, a bullying incident or like a violent type of interaction, uh, being projected onto a student or and for anyone for that matter. Yeah. So yeah, what is it like 88% too. of those are 87. stop 87 are stopped by just one person saying, Hey, we're not going to do that. Yeah. You know, that's, or, all hey, it, that's not kind. Yeah. It can be as uh-huh. simple, as simple as a bystander 
is not an innocent bystander. They are a silent supporter mm-hmm. or they're basically a, a hero in waiting. They're, they're like mm-hmm. a defender They're, Um, you know, it's, it's, it's someone as simple as saying as like, Hey, that's not kind. Mm-hmm. And within the first five to 10 seconds up, you're right. That's, that's exactly the stat. Yeah. Cause I think had I known that, and maybe I don't know when that, that data was collected, yeah. but when I was teaching, had I known that, I think I would have just made it a, a point of making that like public service announcement today, yeah. folks, yeah. <laughs> 87%. So, I mean, you, you give, you give, uh, someone that power to know like, Oh, I can make it. Cause I would have thought like it would be way lower. Yeah. I would have thought like, you know, the odds of that working are like, like super low and like you maybe are even risking yourself doing it. And that's probably what most people are thinking. And I think like if they knew that it was as simple as that, at that, that, that percentage, they'd be more incentivized to actually take that step. And then once they take that step, they've leveraged that opportunity. And if they do stop someone from having a terrible day, then that feels good. You know, it's, you know, you don't want to necessarily look at that as being a self-serving motive, but it has a return to it. It does. And you get that, you, you, if you feel good about helping somebody, uh, you're more likely to do it again. And then you, you, you get to know that, that, that is such a rewarding thing for you personally. And it's also helping someone else. It's really a win-win. Yeah. And you know, you, the more people who experience that win-win are going to just be more likely to continue to do it more often. And that's, I think how you really get the ball rolling in the right direction. Right. I think it's a win-win win. Whenever you help somebody else, it helps them and it helps you. But if someone witnesses that, mm-hmm. that yeah, helps they saw them example. to want to, that, that, like, that was easy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can do something like that, you know? And so it's, uh, I, what, what Zach's referring to is we have a, a curriculum that's been in over a hundred martial arts academies, a hundred schools, and it's called heroes in waiting. And, uh, it means everyone is a hero in waiting. It's on our website and it's, uh, you know, it's a free program that, uh, anyone can download and, and teach in their kids class. But even we've had, uh, middle school and high school students do it too. And one of my favorite Things because there's 12 weekly challenges, and one of my favorite one of the challenges is that. Um, and when COVID happened, we just started giving them away, which was great. Century Martial Arts helped supply that to us. And this is a thick, robust um, training program and curriculum. But one of the teachings is basically at the end of it, they just say, Go out and do a random, a secret random act of kindness. One of them's a random act of kindness, but one of them's a secret random act of kindness. So you know, heroes have humble hearts. They don't need the the likes and the shares and the pats on the back and the acknowledgement. Like they just do it because it's the next right thing. That's actually Stoic philosophy. Mm. Um, just do what's right. The the rest doesn't matter. <laughs> and um, you know, so what's really cool about that? Go do a secret random act of kindness and and then journal. You know, how did that make them feel? If you got to witness it, um, but if you didn't, like how'd that make you feel? And, uh, just kind of meditate on that a little bit and let's try to do more of that, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's like, just, just, just look for those opportunities, have your head on a swivel, looking to make a difference. And I think that's a perspective shift that like, I've seen a lot. Um, in fact, uh, you know, you, I got to share more of Chris's story with you from on it, Mm -hmm. but I just think it's absolutely awesome. I mean, this story will be shared sometime on, on the podcast, but uh, you know, because of us being able to be on Joe's show, stuff like that, have a big platform. He heard my story and 
from that, like what you said earlier, like mm-hmm. to pull it back around. You said you saw that at one of the San, at Santa Fe school, a kid saying about a suicide letter. But a guy today um, talking about how, uh, you know, he was going to do that, decided not to after hearing my story, had to meet him at on it. And then we got to have a smoothie with him today. Mm-hmm. You, we, we got to work out with him. You got to work out with him. And he doesn't even know yet. And I think by the time this podcast comes out, he will have a brand new smile mm-hmm. um, from a dentist that's donating that surgery to him. Uh, just like things like that happen whenever we have a perspective of like, how can I help this person? How can I help that person? Like they just start to stack up and they become easier. It seems like, or more worth it. Like Raiden, you got to meet mm-hmm. Raiden. Yeah. And I think for Chris today or for Raiden, the young man that was incredibly bullied for me, at least I think that whenever there's something so bad, like a young man with autism being beaten up by the urinal or at the bus stop two days in a row, being given a concussion, being deaf in the right ear. Like whenever something like that happens, I feel like the pendulum has to swing in the other direction, like to almost match that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the reason I bring that up is we got to do a lot for Raiden. And we're going to be able to do a lot for Chris now. And you running across America, I mean, that's like a pendulum in one direction of for like the, the fight for good all the way over on one side of the scale, because it's like, wow, like things like that need to happen in the world to like give people hope, you know, restore hope in humanity. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely does. It makes, makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, brother, what do you, uh, what do you, what do you have next on your plate? Like, what are you, uh, excited about? Yeah. So, um, right now I'm in a little bit of limbo in the sense that I have to get my ankle straight before I can really start putting the work in for whatever it is. It seems like by how my ankle has been progressing, I should be able to do some single day racing by the end of the year. Um, if all goes well with that. So I'm kind of excited to get to that and, uh, you know, train for that. If that happens to be the case, uh, I do have, um, some race plans in early 2022 that should happen regardless whether I'm able to race this year or not, uh, to do a couple fast hundred milers. There's, um, a couple of reasons I want to, one is now the hundred mile kind of controlled environment is getting popular enough that we're starting to see more environments that are conducive for it. So like when I did the, when I ran my fastest time, it was in the context of a six day event. So there's folks out there seeing how far they can get in six days. And then there's folks seeing out like 48 hours, 24 hours. These are some of the standard time events that we have in the sport. So by the nature of that, if I go there to run hundred miles or 12 hours, I'm just gonna be moving faster because I'm out there for like a 12th of the time as the six day people are. So you end up in like lane two or three quite a bit because track protocols, you pass on the outside. So um, there's an event in the UK that actually has uh, a race that's specific to hundred miles. So there's yeah. a lot less lane two time. Um, the other thing is just shoe technology over the years has like evolved to the point where you maybe remember this in like cycling. They went from like, you know, carbon fiber frames, which made the bikes lighter and faster. So like the racers didn't necessarily get faster, but the equipment improved or swimming. They actually swimming actually took action against it. They had these those speed suits a few years ago where it made them a little more buoyant so they could swim faster because they stayed closer mm. to the surface of the pool. And, uh, you know, so you had a same similar, similar situation. People don't think of running as having this kind of opportunity for that, but, uh, there are shoes now that are made with a new kind of midsole foam that essentially when you step down into a running shoe, you're going to lose some energy and it's going to give some energy back. Uh, and the better you can make that foam, the more energy return you're going to get from it. So now we're at a point where for about five years now, 
Um, it started out with Nike's technology. And so they had it kind of really early. They've had it for over five years now. If you look to look at it from their prototypes that their athletes were using back in like 2015, 2016 to now to the point where the other brands have kind of started to catch up and have a model like that of their own. So, um, most of the world records, uh, are going to be used with that technology just because, mm. I mean, it's like the estimates are between two to 8% improvement. Really? Yeah. Which that's you, a big improvement over a hundred miles. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, even if you're at the bottom end of that, it is. So yeah. in 2019, I wore a, a normal pair of shoes, like normal, whatever you want to <laughs> call that. Uh, you know, it was just a standard racing flat, which to that point was like the type of shoe to use for something like that. Uh, now that the technology has kind of shifted, you know, my sponsor, Ultra Footwear, is going to have a product that has that technology in it that they're going to be releasing at the beginning of 2022. Um, so I'm looking to take a couple swings at 100 miles with the new technology, with maybe a little more luck of staying in lane one the majority of the time, and just see if I can get a few more minutes off that 1119, and and you know yeah. try to find if I can move the needle a little further with that distance. So that's one of the goals. The other one is just going to be. I'm getting myself ready for this transcontinental project. Uh, I think uh, with the extra time, the value of that is I'll have some opportunities probably to do like a six day event where maybe I don't go to that six day event with a goal of trying to get as far as I can in six days, but replicate what a six day period will look like on the transcon. So, you know, maybe instead of trying to like sleep as little as possible, actually set it up where, okay, I'm going to run for like 13 or 14 hours. Then I'm going to try to you know get myself to sleep and then get back up and do it again and just really get good at that. Cause that's going to be one big thing that I have to kind of figure out to a degree is how do you kind of like down or how do you kind of like unwind after you finish running for the day and get mm. enough sleep so that you're not just chronically losing sleep over the course of the project and, you know, find yourself in a position where that is costing you time because you can't catch up from a recovery standpoint. Wow. Um, so that's something I'm going to probably explore in the next year or so is to, to test out some of those type of events and, yeah. Two, two questions that came up for me. Yeah. Uh, can they get you a pair of those in September of 2021 instead of waiting to 2022? <laughs> so since I'm one of their okay. athletes, they can, and they already yes. have, oh, okay, I actually great. wore them for the first time at the, so in April I did a race. It was the U S track and field hundred mile road championships, the national championships. And, um, I was fortunate to have a really good day and win that. Uh, and that was the first time I raced in those shoes. Hmm. It was kind of weird though. Cause the, the events normally in February in Las Vegas, and they put it there on intentionally cause it's great weather and it's a real controlled service. They want fast times on the road championships. They don't want right. to make it like super convoluted. They, they'd rather see people run quick, but, um, with all the COVID stuff, it got bumped back to end of April. Right. So it was 94 degrees. <laughs> so oh, it, was really, it was, it was a one point. I'm trying to remember. I think it was 1.17 mile laps. So it was like 85 laps on this paved. Um, there was some little rollers in there, um, but it was pretty flat as far as ultra marathons go. And, uh, but so hot, like I was basically like dousing myself with ice water every time I'd finish a lap just to stay wow. cool. Uh, so I wore them there, uh, but it's really hard to tease out any benefit. You're throwing water on yourself. Yeah. Uh -huh. Ice water. Well, I mean, I felt so bad for Nicole. She was crewing for me that day. And uh, every time I'd finish a lap, she'd have to be standing there with like my nutrition, my fluids, and also like, how do I get him to get water on his head without having to stop? So she was just wow. there all day getting, she's a champ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's a champ. Okay. And now I still owe her for that one. You still are. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> like that. So Amy is a self-proclaimed sleep nerd. Okay. Uh, do you have any sleep habits, sleep tricks, sleep, uh, hacks that you 
Yeah, I do. I do. I think uh, I'm actually, so here's where- We love sleep. I love sleep too. I'm a sleep nerd. I'm actually, this is one of my strengths actually. I'm a really good sleeper. So like at the end of the day, especially if I've worked hard, I can can usually just shut it down and then knock out- I can help on this race or the run across America. Yeah. I'm thinking it'll be, because I mean, there are people who have struggled with sleep. So then now you take them out of their normal environment, throw them in an RV and now it's like, you know, who knows? So that'll, the biggest thing for me is to be figure out how do I translate you know, in my normal sleeping environment close enough to the RV so that I don't feel like it's completely different. Um, I have had enough like hotel experiences that I know that I can probably pull it off as long as, especially if I can get it dark, get it dark and cool, yes, I think are big that's ones. What I like dark cool, um, cool. Yeah. And that's one thing that Pete shared with me too. Uh, and one of his crew members when he did it was they always had the RV air conditioner turned way down at night because you could sleep a lot easier when it was like that. And that really helped him. So, uh, yeah, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I've been playing around with like some CBD type stuff too, for, for sleeping. And just to see if that kind of keeps me, uh, even gets, gets me, gets it even easier to kind of turn down at night. Um, and that seems to have some, some, uh, good, some promising aspects to it yeah. as well. You might, you might double up or, uh, see if you can at least have a spare or extra, just like you'd have an extra tire, you want an mm-hmm. extra AC unit. Just yeah. make sure you can, mm-hmm. or like a chili cool. pad or something. Yeah. Like that. They make those things now too, where the your actual the mattress, mattress pad yeah. or your mattress. I've is- had a chili pad and I loved it. Okay, I would set it at like, I forget it was sixty two or sixty five, and uh-huh. then I even had underneath. I had to get a weight, not a weighted blanket, but a heavy duvet and a heavy like goose down blanket to. I had a like an actual fan, uh-huh. and it would either be a heater or a cooler. So I was sleeping on top of the chili pad and I had a fan blowing underneath the blanket. And so I was, I, I had to keep it on low though, cause that thing would crank up and it'd blow it like blankets off of me. Yeah. But I would have the AC in the room at like 67 normally. And I'm sleeping on like a 62 or 65 chili pad and I have a fan coming underneath the blanket. Now this is during fight camp cause I'm uh-huh. training two or three times a day. Yep. And it's Texas or Oklahoma and you're in these hot rooms and you're sweating like crazy shower and you can't even cool down after a cold shower. Uh-huh. But, um, okay. So I have something that I want to do today. Um, and that's myself getting an ice bath. Oh, Amy, Amy might, you might, I don't know. After our stem cells, uh, <laughs> I think, do you think? I think I, I would be disappointed in myself if I saw you jump in there and I said, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, yesterday, I don't think you wanted to. Amy, are you going to maybe jump in with us? I don't know. It depends on what time you do it. Maybe. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, brother, I hope that we can do this again um, sometime. So, well, we're going to have to, especially whenever you get on this run across America. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but thank you so much for being my my second guest. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's my honor. You're one of the people that I'm most inspired by. And I mean that uh, because of your willingness to help being one of the best, baddest mofos on the planet, whenever (laughs) it comes to your sport and for you to be so generous with your time. So generous with your skill and talent and hard work, um, for you to be a connector and a door opener for us, for you to be another mouthpiece. And, and, uh, I don't know what's, what's that called whenever that's that big thing you speak into megaphone, megaphone, (laughs) you're a megaphone for the passion and the people that I love most in this world. And so I'm, um, yeah, very, very grateful for that. Do you have anything that, um, you feel like you would, you would want to share, uh, or any last things like I I would definitely want people to go follow you at Zach bitter. 
um, but any website sponsors or, or anything like that, just in your heart, like a little nugget that you'd like to share. Yeah. So, I mean, folks want to kind of follow along with what I'm up to and, you know, any of my kind of day-to-day happenings, most of that stuff's connected to ZachBitter.com, Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R.com. I'm probably most active on Instagram from the social media side of things. Uh, My podcast is Human Performance Outliers Podcast. So Mm. I think we just released episode 255 or 56 recently. So I've been cranking away at that. How many years have you been podcasting now? It's been three or four. Uh, I think about three. I've been. I'm coming up on a year. I started out with a co-host, and yeah. then then I started doing it solo. So I've been I've been solo for about a year now. Yeah. Actually, almost exactly a year. I think. So, cause yeah, it's August already. Jeez, how's it August? Already? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to jump on there. I don't know, six months ago. Or yeah. So. Uh huh. Yeah. So we'll have to have you come back on at some point. Yeah, kind of Since now that you're, because I think when we had you on, you had just maybe been moving to Austin, if yeah. I remember right. So, uh, a lot is, a lot has happened since then, but, uh, but yeah, in terms of nuggets to share with folks, I think like, um, I mean, find something you're passionate in mm-hmm. and really lean into it. Uh, it doesn't have to be your career. It can be something that's fun that you do on the side and maybe it'll turn into your career. That's how running started with me. In fact, you know, when I ran for the first time in a structured manner, it was a presidential physical fitness challenge in sixth grade. And that's the first time I recognized, I think I might like this better than my classmates do. <laughs> so who knows? I think like trying out new things is great. Uh, I mean, I remind myself of that constantly because it's easy to forget. Sometimes you get busy with your, your normal stuff and the things you think you like and the, you think you love the most. And sometimes things that are, you know, you would probably enjoy kind of come at the expense of that. So like, I mean, for this morning, for example, we did a workout at on it that was quite a bit different than what I would normally do. And it yeah. reminded me of how much I like bear crawls. Doing, yeah. Doing bear <laughs> crawls, all sorts of co- cool things that yeah. just normally wouldn't fit into my training program all that often. And it's fun to kind of be able to do some of that stuff and experience that. And, and it introduces the best part is it introduces you to people you wouldn't meet otherwise. Mm. Like, you know, I go out for a, a running workout with a group. It's probably gonna be people who are like-minded in the running endurance community. You can go to, you know, something like we did this morning is, I mean, there's some runners there for sure, but there's also like strength and there'll be know, some guys, my size there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's some bruisers there. So yeah. it's like, it's cool. And you got it when you're as small as me, you got to know some big guys just to be safe. <laughs> I got your back, brother. <laughs> I promise you, you ever need a bodyguard. I'm there at any, any time, anywhere I'm there. Um, but you did jog, you, you jogged a, a question. Um, you brought something up and is jog a question. Is that a saying? Jog your memory. Jog my memory. Yes. You jogged my memory. (laughs) I was trying to get a running thing in there. (laughs) So you jogged my memory. I had a question for you and it was in college. You said you were a college athlete, but Mm -hmm. were you like the man? Were you the champion? No. College. Mm -mm. No. And then after college, you go on to be the guy that's setting the world records. Yeah. And you know, it's, there's a few things there. I think like one is, uh, when I got to college, I was probably a little more, um, a little more green in endurance compared to my, my peers. Uh, just, I took it a little more gradual in high school. I didn't really get serious about running until my senior year in high school. So I was still very much learning the sport. Even if I had, I wouldn't have been like a big D one recruit who was going to nationals and being a contender to make the Olympics or anything like that. I don't think I ever really had that skill set at the shorter endurance stuff. So where ultra running kind of gets interesting is you get enough attrition from folks just not even wanting to ever wrap their head around a hundred mile race. (laughs) And you also, it's just a different skill set too, because now all of a sudden 
it's I mean, it can be valuable to be able to run, say, like a 355 mile in terms of being able to run a fast 100 mile race. But it's not like the end all be all. Like if you don't have that foot speed, um, you're just not going to run that fast in the mile, no matter how much you work at it, you know. But for 100 miles, you bring the intensity down so far, you introduce a lot more variables that I find more interesting. So that may feed into it as well, where it's like, you know, I enjoy those variables and learning them and trying to fine tune them. And they also bring that intensity down. So it brings in the mental side, the work ethic side. So one of my strengths in college was always, um, I was very resilient in the sense that I could, uh, you know, do pretty high volume training without getting injured or fatigued. And after college that just kind of, uh, grew even more so I can put in a really big training load and recover from it pretty quickly without getting injured. Usually I say that with a bum ankle right now, but (laughs) that's actually my second meaningful injury since starting ultra running in 2010, which is, uh, not too common. Uh, so yeah, I think that's been helpful as well. I can compound years of fatigue from training and, you know, kind of build upon that versus having to kind of like reset very often by getting injured every year or every other year and stuff like that. And I think that just translates well into, into ultra marathon type stuff. Yeah. Well, so it, it, the thing that it queued up for me though, Amy, could you bring up actually your Instagram real Amy Mm -hmm. Edwards and go back to one of your, your posts that did really well. Um, it had, by the way, this is actually a good moment because, you know, being on Rogan's, uh, Mm He's always asking, young Jamie, pull that up. Yeah. <laughs> now I get to say, hey, young Amy, pull that up. <laughs> uh, but uh, Amy wrote on this and it says, the reason I brought this up was, I mean, you could say potentially you were a late bloomer. Amy's post says, for what it's worth, at 38, I picked up a guitar. At 40, I wrote my first song. At 41, my first album came out. At 46, my first book was published. At 47, I started dating again. Uh, for the first time in 20 years. Thank God for that. <laughs> and at uh, 48, I signed with a podcast network. That's who I'm with now. 49, next month, the best is yet to come. So Amy over there is, uh, you know, she she started later in life on some of her passions. And uh-huh. for you, I think it's important to point out that just because you weren't the big man on campus or maybe in the nation, right? Mm-hmm. And running you didn't give up. You still found that you could be the best in the, in the world. Um, you know, later as you develop and, and more things interest you than, than what they did. I, the thing that it brought up during this was I have two friends from wrestling, Travel Delagnev, who is an Olympic bronze medalist and Kamaru Usman, who, uh, is the UFC world champion right now. Mm-hmm. And they say he's the pound for pound greatest fighter in the world right now. I was, uh, we called him U.S. Man, so it's hard to call him Usman sometimes because yeah. uh, his family's from Nigeria, and he moved here and he started wrestling in high school like I did. But he was he was like third or fourth in state. Travel Delagnev, he was like third or fourth in state their senior years. They didn't go. They actually went to the same college, which is pretty awesome. But they went to University of Northern uh, or Nebraska. Uh, what is it? Nebraska Kearney University. Okay. So yeah. UNK. Mm-hmm. And um, they start off their first years and they didn't really make too much out of it. The next year they did pretty well, but their last two years, they both won the national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they've gone on to be some of the best in the world. Like for me, I was kind of a, even though it took me a year, year and a half, 
I started to get it down quick because I had the best in the world coaching me. Then I was the youngest guy at the highest level, at least in the heavyweight division of the UFC. And um, so for me, I'm trying to do it. I, I took some time off, fight for the free and all this stuff. Now I'm trying to be a late bloomer again. You know, now I'm uh, 34 and I'm trying to make it come back to the sport. And uh, my, I've had a shoulder surgery. I've had some other injuries. We're about to get some stem cells, like trying to take care of my body better. Mm-hmm. But I just got to remind myself that like, wow, Amy's done this. You've done this. These other guys have done it. And so the question I had with it was what, what did you do? And we'll, we'll start to wrap up, but what did you do to keep you from stopping whenever you might've had a job as a teacher, mm-hmm. you might not have been the absolute best whenever you were doing it then. And, and you just said, no, I'm going to take the risk. And I'm going to become a full-time runner and I'm going to be the best at it. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, uh, first I, I think like when I look at my trajectory into running, I'm really happy it went the way it did because had I been better or maybe not even better, but just really took it seriously, like in sixth grade going forward, I might've gotten good enough where, uh, not good enough to make a career out of it necessarily, but good enough where I don't test the ultra running waters where I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know, maybe I could run a two eighteen marathon, which is a great marathon, but it's not going to get you a paycheck, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it, so that I think was the, my gradual entry into running, I think helped me appreciate what it actually took and it helped me build slow enough. So I didn't like burn out or get fatigued by it, get frustrated by it. So it kept it, kept me curious about it. I think long enough where I was able to kind of lay the foundation, adapt, and then kind of make take the next step and kind of do it that way versus getting it over my, over my head early and then getting frustrated. Uh, what kind of kept me going that direction, I think was, it was just when I got to college, I hadn't really dove into the methodology of running yet at that point. So my college coach and my college teammates knew a lot more about why we were doing what we were doing. Like, why are you doing this workout versus that one? What does this particular workout do for you to move you further? Before then, I was basically like, coach said, do this. That's gonna make me faster. That's what I'm going to do. Kind of a mindset. So, uh, at best, sometimes I wouldn't do that either, but (laughs) but in college, I started really getting interested in that about like how these different workouts impact your performance and the whys and stuff like that. So when I finished college, I actually left some eligibility on the table, two years of track and field and one year cross country. I had felt like I hadn't quite gotten my fill yet. So when I went into teaching, Uh, I mean, teaching is incredibly busy when you're teaching, but when you're not, you have a lot of flexibility, like summers you have basically off unless you're administration and, you know, you get your weekends off, you get uh, holidays off. So there is time to, uh, you know, take on some other passion projects. So I think I had a bit of a taste of what it would be like to be a professional athlete with like summer break Mm -hmm. where I could carve out, you know, 10, 12 weeks where I was focusing primarily on running. And I think that kind of showed me what that lifestyle would maybe be like. Uh, once I started getting into ultra running, I started having people reach out to me and ask like, hey, do you coach people? And at first I was like, no, I don't, but maybe I should. And you know, I started like uh, asking them like, well, what exactly are you looking for? And I, I started coaching people like remotely one-on-one. And um, you know, that I kind of paralleled with coaching track in high school and, uh, and that sort of stuff. And uh, by the time... 2015 rolled around. I had enough interest in coaching and enough interest in sponsors for me as an athlete where 
I was just getting really busy. Like I had filled every gap I had left when I wasn't teaching with running. And it was a point where I was like, I'm basically running, teaching, sleeping, sleeping and eating. eating. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Some I was, showers. yeah, a couple showers here and there, you know, if I could smell myself, but <laughs> no, but it, it got to the point where I was like, I have to kind of make a decision to invest more time in one of these career paths or, you know, take away some of these obligations in order to give, you know, the other ones a little more bit more space. focus. Yeah. yeah face, face. And, and, you know, the, the hardest, one of the hardest decisions I made in my life was actually choosing running and coaching over teaching because I had found a great spot to teach. I was teaching just outside of Madison in Middleton Cross Plains. Uh, we were at an, uh, an alternative school. Actually, it was part of the public school district, but they also had a charter license. So they had like a board of directors outside of the, the actual school board that would like, you know, gather donations. We had like a great setup where our student teacher, teacher ratio was like one to 15, which is basically half of what you're going to see in a lot of cases nowadays. Uh, and it was project based. So rather than saying, okay, you're going to go to math and science, then English, then lunch. And, you know, they kind of go through those like steps or those blocks. It would be like, we're going to focus on a topic that's interested. The students would vote on. And then, wow. uh, yeah, it's way different. yeah. And they would build their curriculum. We would build the subjects into the projects or into the topic. So if it was like, I, did, I ran a seminar that was kickball, we would play kickball. And then I would, my responsibility as a teacher was how do we loop in for one? I mean, physical education was the easy one with that. Right. Yeah. So then how do I loop in math with it? So how does like algebra fit into like the, you know, the dynamics of, or how do you can, how can you get like geometry in, into like the, the curvature of a kickball and all that stuff. Uh, and then writing all this other stuff. So it became almost more of like, as a teacher, you were, you were less of like the master in the room or the person who had all the knowledge. It was never wrong, was always right, which I think a lot of kids see a teacher as. Uh, you're more of like, here's a person who knows how to learn. They've perfected, well, I shouldn't say perfected, but they've gotten really good at knowing how to learn or how to find the resources to learn something. So my job was more to pass that on to the students so that they could take something that they were likely more knowledgeable than me. And cause sometimes these topics were something that I had no, no idea about, but the kid wanted to, to like learn a bunch about it. Hmm. So they may actually be smarter than me in it from just like the basic, like, uh, ins and outs of that particular topic. But I probably could figure out how to tie in the curriculum to it in a way that was, you know, meaningful for their education, as well as them growing as a person, learning more about this topic of interest of theirs. So it was a really cool setting. And I was, fortunate to be there for two years. Um, it was actually their second and third year from their start. So there was a lot of like new, like growing and contributions as to like how we want to actually structure the, the, the setup there. And, um, so that was like a really cool spot. I think if I had not, uh, had the success I did in running, I'd probably still be there teaching today. Wow. Uh, but in the back of my mind, I knew teaching was something I could do later in life. If I wanted to go back to it, uh, yeah. running professionally was a very tight time window. And I probably need to take advantage of that if I wanted to. And in the back of my mind, I thought, uh, I can, I, I, if I don't do this, I could easily be looking back wondering what if, if I step away from teaching and go back to teaching, you know, down the road or in my mind is like, if I completely belly flop here and I'm no longer, you know, like not, not able to make it in two or three years, I can go back and start teaching again. So to me, that made the most sense. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's opened up opportunities to kind of contribute through the education stuff that I learned. I think about that a lot is say so the one thing I think was like, did I waste my time in college getting that degree? when I'm really not technically using it, then you have to ask yourself, it's like, well, am I using it? And I think like a lot of the stuff I learned from 
the education classes I took are very much things I use with coaching, use with just like, you know, advice that I give when people reach out with podcasting and stuff like that. And it's also opened up doors. Like I probably would have never met you had I not done that. So, you know, these things happen for a reason. So I think still, you can still be a teacher if you're not in a brick and mortar classroom. Yeah. And I think, uh, the best teachers are the ones that are lifelong students and Mm -hmm. that's the mentality you have. I mean, that's what you're doing in your everyday life, but especially like in your career of running, I mean, you're, you're learning how to make yourself better. You're learning so you can help Nicole better. You're, you're, you're learning so you can help us in our nonprofit. And, um, and you're also opening that up through your, your podcast. It's human performance outliers. Correct. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had fun being on there. And so I encourage any of our listeners today to go out and listen to yours. And, and that's just, it's, you're just a really interesting man, brother. Like, uh, you're really interested in life. And I I think it's an Alan Watts quote. It's the people are the most interested that are the most interesting Mm. and just being interested, fascinated with life, how things work, people, and, uh, and just by by natural cause and effect, like you become more interesting to the world. And that's, that's who you are to me, man. Uh, every time I talk to you, I get excited and uh, I'm just, just thankful for what you're, you're going to do. I shouldn't say attempting to do, but, um, you know, in the run next year, I mean, it's, it's, uh, running across America. I got I got to see it. I got to see it. Amy, will you come watch it with me at some point? Absolutely. It's, it's a six week movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to watch the whole thing, yeah. you probably yeah. fast forward a few we, parts. We, we might skip the middle. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, Amy has that quote that, uh, I do. who's, I have one again? more question for Zach. Yeah, please. What's your favorite thing about running? Um, that is a good question. I think, uh, I think there's probably more than one thing that really kind of keeps me going and they kind of shift in importance. Uh, one is just like the continual growth that you see from doing like the, just the actual idea of like sitting down and like building a plan and then like going through the process and watching that progress happen. Partly just because like it translates into real life. Like when I think of just the way I structure those things, it's easy to look at other areas of life and say, how do I take that process and implement it into that? Um, so that's maybe the more practical thing I enjoy about it, but like the more kind of raw emotional part is just, just the way I feel like it's kind of hard to express in words. Um, I mean, in the running community, they'll say like, you you got a runner's high or something like Mm -hmm. that. And it's like, there's just something powerful. I think about like, like moving your body and then the, the, the aftermath of that more or less. And even if it's a hard workout where you're exhausted afterwards, there's a sense of like satisfaction and accomplishment, even if it's just one workout, it doesn't even have to be a big one or a race. And, and that's always kind of been something that's drawn me back to it every time. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a, a high of some sort with wrestling, grappling, whenever you get a submission, it's like movement movement. Yeah. yeah. But whenever I out position somebody and it's kind of like checkmate, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just this, like, ah, I plan this out almost like you're planning out everything to then finally achieve it. It's like, I planned, I strung these moves together, this chain wrestling and it came to pass. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, um, really cool feeling to have that sweat and know you just accomplished it. The one thing I was going to ask, Amy asked a great question about what is your favorite thing about running? What's your favorite thing about Nicole? 
Oh, my question. Yeah. I better get this one right because she's going to listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my my favorite thing about Nicole is she's, I mean, first of all, she's the hardest worker I've ever met. Wow. And uh, that says a lot. Yeah. Well, so I remember when we first started living together, I mean, I was like, probably semi-pompous in the sense like I'm a hard worker. I'm, I can do this. I can do that. I can fit it all in there. Uh, and then I saw her. I can run a hundred miles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can run a hundred miles. What, what else is there? It's yeah. a pretty, yeah. pretty hard worker, bro. I promise. <laughs> but then I kind of saw her like kind of go through her average day and I was just like, oh, there's a whole nother level to this. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, that's one aspect of her that I think was just like really, uh, um, really uh, appealing to me. But the thing that really stood out is, uh, I mean, she's accomplished. So she has a very, very good appreciation of quickly recognizing when she's done something that is, I don't want to say wrong, but maybe not the direction she wanted to go and course correcting really quickly mm-hmm. versus kind of getting like an ego trip of, Oh, I made that mistake, but how do I spin this into a way where it was the right thing? Or how do I frame this so it makes it look like it did right? She's very quick at saying, Oh, no, I was wrong there. Let's redirect. Uh, I'll do better next time and, and, and then move on from it. I've never seen someone do that as well as she does. So it's another characteristic of hers that really stuck out to me. That's really awesome. You know, I kind of, I kind of started doing the wrap up, but are you okay? Do you, uh, do you have a few minutes? You need to pee? No, I'm good. You're good. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm going to be real open and vulnerable with some of my story, but, um, you saying that about Nicole and how quick she is to course correct. I feel like in normal everyday life, I'm, I'm normally that, that way. Whenever mm-hmm. I make a mistake, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty quick to do it quicker than I used to be, at least if I'm just comparing me to me. Um, but you guys were there, uh, after, you know, I went through, a shoulder surgery. I went through a divorce. You guys came out to Santa Fe and it was such an incredible time. Um, but shortly thereafter, I thought that I could have simply some weed. Mm-hmm. And right after I had the the weed to, to go, I went to Oxy. I relapsed hard. I ended up in Mexico. I almost died. I came back and I, I decided to go to treatment. I think what you're saying about Nicole is something that I've had to learn that with my biggest struggles, I, it needs to be the quickest I decide to course correct. Mm, yeah. Cause you find yourself in a really bad situation fast if you don't. Yeah. Big time. And so she inspires me with that too. And you sharing that about her because like with, with the addiction I've gone through and I've broken out of, but also slipped back into at times, like man, it's, there's so much at risk. There's so much at play and, Mm -hmm. and it's not like stuff like my reputation or this or that. Like I'm, I'm grateful that it's, it's pretty intact for the major mistakes I've made. But the, the thing that matters is like my relationship with Amy, Mm -hmm. uh, fight for the forgotten. Yeah. And like, I don't want to lose that stuff. So if I do get off course, it's almost like you said, you take a wrong turn and you're not five miles and you were at the front of the pack. And all of a sudden you're at the end, uh, you know, the bottom half, there's been times I've taken that, that, that wrong turn. And it was like, that sucked me into where I felt like I couldn't course correct, Mm -hmm. um, at times. But, uh, I'm really grateful for the times that I have course corrected quicker um, and quicker and quicker. And Amy's helped me do that. And you've helped me do that. And 
Nicole and I mean, just y'all being there for me and deciding not to, I mean, honestly, bro, like, I guess you could have said, I'm not going to run across America and fight for the forgotten. You <laughs> oh, know, we're going to do heard, it. Oh, we're going to do it. <laughs> we're going to do it. But I mean, I, I wouldn't have blamed you at all if you had heard Justin relapsed. He's been, oh, I uh, see. Yeah. you know what I mean? Like, oh, maybe this isn't the charity to trust. Maybe no. this isn't the guy to, to believe in. And that's very understandable uh, by, by most people's standards. Right. Um, so I guess like. I have this willingness to course correct, but you like, I guess what I said a couple of days ago, maybe to Amy, was like, I want to do that quicker mm -hmm. and be course corrected longer after any mistake. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I can just do that course, correct, course, correct faster mm -hmm. and stay on the right path longer, then that's going to benefit my life. Um, and hopefully I don't have these big slip ups, but, um, I'm doing everything I can in my power to not. Anyways, I'm, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but I just want to say that it speaks volumes to me, to the man that you are, to be supporting uh, fight, fight for the Forgotten, me. I mean, you believe in the cause. We believe in each other. But it just, it just really matters to me that, like, I didn't lose a friend. You know, not, not a, like, you're a supporter second. You're, you're a friend first. And so thank you for that. That, that, that means a lot to me. Yeah. In that absolutely. time in the past. You know, yeah, sure. And I think, I mean, I know, I understand why you feel that way because obviously it's a hard point in your life and you're, you're asking why, and you're asking these questions and you're, you're feeling bad about yourself to a degree, right? Like, yeah. and, uh, you know, to me, what that shows is, well, here's a person who has had every reason to give up at many points in their life. It's like, the expectation can't be perfection. Mm. Um, I mean, none of us are perfect to begin with. Yeah. And I mean, someone who has had the experiences you have, it's easy for folks like myself or anyone kind of following on. Certainly the folks who look up to you in a way that's impactful, like life-changing uh, to think like, well, Justin won't make a mistake. You know, Justin is always got the right, right idea. You know, he's always going to do the right thing. And, and the reality is nobody can do that. So as a person, you can either hide that side of you or you can share it and admit like that was a mistake. I can't let myself do that. I need to find a strategy um, that is going to you know, put me in a position to make the course correction sooner. So next time I don't end up in Mexico, like almost losing my life. Uh, and, you know, recognizing that and sharing it, I think is just a step towards that. I mean, you know, now you have Amy in your life, mm. maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. And that's a rock and a foundation that is going to help you course correct Yeah. when you have a, you know, a, a relapse or something, a setback down the road or, or even just a temptation, Yeah. you know, someone else to keep a, an extra set of eyes on you that, you know, is got your best interest in mind and not, you know, there for the wrong reasons. Mm. So I think it, you know, as much of a setback as it probably felt in the moment, I think like, you know, my respect for you has only grown and, mm. <laughs> um, it, you know, had, had things happened, um, in a different way with that situation, we'd still be supporting fight for the forgotten and going across the country. So, um, obviously it's way better with you here. And yeah. I think you're learning that. So yeah, yeah, for sure that like, you being here is the number one goal for that. And, uh, because with that comes all the growth with the organization and all the awareness and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, no, it's been a, a blast to get to know you. Yeah. Thank you.
It's been a blast to get to know you. And so, yeah, I, I, uh, I love you, man. And, uh, let's go get some stem cells. Yeah. <laughs> let's go fix our busted <laughs> bodies. Fix yeah. our busted bodies. Me, <laughs> me by, by trying to pound faces, you by pounding pavement. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, and me taking a beating along the way and you as well. Uh, one last thing is while we're on, like we were at on it earlier today, I want to tell you that they are common supporter for fight for the forgotten. Mm -hmm. Now there you're going to put a donation button in the checkout cart for not just customers that go through there on the podcast, but all across the board, anyone, anyone that comes to on it and purchases any on it product. Like we had an alpha brain before Mm -hmm. we started, um, anyone can donate and they're going to match it dollar for dollar. Oh, wow. And that's going out to all their customers, which is a big customer base. Wow. And so I'm really grateful uh, for them. So I'll, I'll see about sending you some alpha brain or something like that. I, did you like that? Yeah. It got me through this podcast. I yeah, like I did a halfway decent job. Yeah. You did great. <laughs> you did great. So anyways, uh, thank you so much, brother. We got the Mike Tyson painting. Yeah. We hope to auction that off after we, uh, invite Mike Tyson on the podcast. I've been on his show and hopefully so come cool. to mine and, uh, man, I love you. Let's go, uh, be on time for this, uh, stem cells and let's get on the ice. All three of us. Yeah. Yes. Amy, maybe. Morasco Forge. Morasco Forge. Yeah, some of our you friends. You want to end with that quote? Oops. Yes, we do really? want to end with that quote. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? It fit in so good with what you guys were talking about. And especially like, Zach, when you were talking about letting go of control and, you know, knowing that you're a stepping stone rather than holding onto your record so tight. This It fits so much with this. She says, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous. Who am I to run across America? Who am I to have the most meaningful full podcast in the world? Isn't that crazy that she said that? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. You're playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Wow. Wow. The whole quote is even better. Yeah. The whole (laughs) quote is even better. What part stood out to you, Amy? I just, I liked tying it in with um, what you said about like, like I just said before, you know, letting go of that control of like holding on to your record or holding on to something and just allowing growth and understanding that you, even by letting go of that, you're liberating others yeah. to, to go further. And then they also let go because we're all just part of the process. Mm-hmm. Anything stand out to you? Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's just, I think just more, maybe a little more generally speaking is I just, I just love to hear messages like that let people know like don't be afraid to take that next step Mm. um i mean i've had very important spots in my life where i took that next step and um it's changed my life so knowing that other people probably have those opportunities at times but either are too afraid to take them for some reason is uh i don't want to say disappointing but unfortunate Um, and it's not their fault necessarily, but I think the more people who recognize, Hey, I have, you know, if 
if so-and-so can do it, why can't I? Mm. Is, I think that's maybe what I should say is like, if, if so-and-so can do it, why can't I is, is a great message and it doesn't have to be running. It doesn't have to be fighting. It doesn't yeah. have to be, um, you know, the pygmy tribe, but there's something out there for, for everyone probably that can be a huge impactful thing in their life if they take that first step. So wow. I love that. Or last step, I guess, in yeah. this case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. The the part about it doesn't serve anyone to, to play it small. It doesn't serve the world to play it small. And the liberate ourselves and liberate others, I was like, man, that goes right along with that. You know, hurt people, hurt people, but healed people, healed people, and man, free people, free people. If If I can break free of this stuff that sometimes gets me into these dark places. Hopefully I can free others through this podcast and things like that. So, um, man, I love you. Thank you so much. We're going to get out of here. I've told you I love you 10 times. It's true. <laughs> Every time it's true. I love you too, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, remember just like Zach and I, Amy also, if you are listening to this, if you are hearing my voice, you have overcome a hundred percent of your darkest days. Um, you have overcome a hundred percent of your darkest days. Now it's your opportunity to let your light shine to, uh, to, to share your love with this world. So thanks for listening and have a good day. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Zach bitter. I did. What a freak athlete. <laughs> he's not a freak of a person, but he's a freak athlete. That's for sure. <laughs> human outlier. Yes. Human performance outlier for sure. Mm -hmm. What a beast. And we went and got our stem cells uh, right after the podcast. And it was awesome. Uh, he is such a good man. And I'm thankful for him. You can follow him at Zach Bitter. You can follow his podcast, Human Performance Outliers. You can go to Fight for the Forgotten, the organization he loves, that I love, that I got to start and create at uh, fightfortheforgotten.org. You can join our fight club, which is our monthly giving club of $5 a month or more. You are going to get special access uh, to certain things. We're going to start trying because we have a new hire where uh, we're going to be doing a monthly or bi-monthly Zoom call where I can have a Q&A time with uh, people in the fight club. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, I didn't I'm know really, that. Yeah. I'm really oh, excited. Oh, that's great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we, I'm not really sure the day and time we want to get the same one, but some, some months are going to have to be flexible and we'll always do one though. And yeah. I'm really excited to deepen the well of donors, but also deepen the relationship with the people that are in that well. And so mm -hmm. the first rule of fight club is that you do speak about fight club. <laughs> Not that you don't, you do. You can tell your friends why you love fight for the forgotten or believe in it. Uh, believe in what we're doing overseas, believe in what we're doing here. Uh, and thank you on it. I'm actually wearing the shirt. Wearing yeah, the shirt for on it. Mm -hmm. They're going to be donating to fight for the forgotten. If anyone donates at their website, which is at the, in the checkout cart, people are going to be getting, uh, their donation doubled. It's going to be matched. matched. So it's going to be matched. If they give five on, it's going to get five. And so I love this company. They have always been behind me or had my back. And I'm so grateful that they're supporting this podcast. And I do love their new uh, alpha brain black label. Whenever I'm coming in to do a podcast or going to train, I take those, but I alternate days. I don't take it every day. The, I, want, I want that extra punch. Just put regular alpha brain. Yeah, I do. On your off days, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Regular alpha brain. I always notice it, whether it's Didn't just regular alpha brain. you mix two together the other day? Oh, you mixed. No, I mixed the alpha brain and a and, uh, Virotech? Virotech? Virus? Yeah. Virotech? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which has Qsertin and 
uh, lysine and I think it has B and D vitamins in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but they were the same flavor. They were that Meyer lemon. And so it worked really well. Mm, Um, I like the lemon. Yeah. The lemon's Mm -hmm. really good. Anyways, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I am so incredibly grateful. I do want to remind you, please, please, please remember, no matter where you are, what you're feeling, what you're dealing with, if you're just on the mountaintop or in one of the lowest of lows, you have overcome 100% of your darkest days. So rise up, overcome. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.